All he say, sir, is I'm innocent. And I feel like I've been trapped. <laughs> is there any justice? Is there any justice for me? Must I either spend six months in training school for something I didn't do or take the chance that somebody's gonna trap me again and put me in jail for 20 years? I have no choice. Either way, I'm trapped. Welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. I'm your co-host, Sean Glennis, and I'm here with Arlen Golden. How are you doing, Arlen? Hey, Sean. Doing good. Excited to talk Weissman again with you and all of our friends. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, uh, we're going to be talking about a special film, uh, Juvenile Court, the seventh film in uh, Wiseman's filmography. And um, I wanted to start, though, by, by talking about something uh, not related to to that Whoa. film if that's okay yes it is related to uh, curveball yes yes quite the curveball um hopefully uh it doesn't come off corny but something i was thinking about um this last week that is related to um to frederick wiseman um i uh i had an opportunity to go see uh, a performance by erica badu wonderful um, mm-hmm which uh, is not not really related to the story, except for the fact that I, I uh, did momentarily think of the uh, Mary J. Blige scene in the garden, uh, which is a great <laughs> uh, scene. Um, but uh, anyway, we're at this concert, and uh, and there's three of us in my party, and somebody from the party wants to go to uh, Coney Island after the show, which is, uh, if you're not familiar with Detroit, a very uh, Detroit-specific thing of going to these like 24-hour diners and usually like very late at night um, especially on weekends and after things like if you're out at a show or you're out at the bar and so we're like okay let's go pick up some food from from a Coney Island and uh, we go to this one that uh, is open and um, and it's it's pretty busy it's it's quite a scene and we're standing in line and we're ordering and we put our order in and um, and then we like just sit there in this booth. This place is like small. Most of it is taken up by this kitchen that like five people are working in. And uh, the rest of it is like booths and counters. And we're sitting there and the three of us are like pretty exhausted. Um, so we're not really like talking to each other. And, and also, like I said, it's just kind of a busy scene. And so people are paying attention to, to what's going on. And, you know, we're just we're watching the people that are cooking that are like frying up there's a bunch of people like uh, packaging stuff there's a guy taking orders there's there's somebody taking you know taking the phone calls somebody doing drive through like five people are doing all of these things while people are coming in and ordering and people are asking like um for like wait where's my food where's my food where was my order like i ordered this or this person got this before me like a lot of this like badgering this guy working there and um, so, uh, we're just sitting there watching and, and I couldn't help but think about how, uh, watching Wiseman movies and talking about Wiseman movies had like made this experience for me, like <laughs> not about like waiting for food and like, not like being impatient, but like that there was so much going on that I was watching, like, like you had this system that this 
this Coney Island was working from, like this this system that the kitchen was running on, that like made no sense from the outside perspective. But for some reason, like they had nailed down internally that you had to like suss out by just watching them for quite a while. Mm. Um, and also like communication between people. But all, so there's that aspect. There's also the aspect of like this kind of like just seeing how much waste goes into like something like this, just packaging up just like this sort of assembly line, like kind of like Belfast type scene of just like assembly line, just, just going through this like rope motions and just like thinking about all of this, this like these little containers um, and bags and, and um, just very like assembly line. Um, but also like just paying attention to like this guy taking orders and um, his like resilience with like dealing with people and kind of like being able to suss out like or think about just through observation um, what he has to deal with or like, you know, projecting thoughts onto this person. Um, so it was a very bizarre experience, but it was, it was one that, that really did make me think like, oh, like watching and talking about these Wiseman movies has, has actually changed my perception of, of reality in a, in a way that isn't just like, you know, like surface level, uh, way that people talk about that. Yeah. I mean, what, what I was going to say, it sounded like is that Weissman's broken your brain. (laughs) or or fixed it i don't know Uh, your your schema for relating to the world around you is now that of frederick weissman yeah but uh, yeah it but it gave me a level of appreciation for like viewing this this moment and like being able to you know I, i i guess other people would probably like maybe draw like some sort of um uh allusion to like zen or something like that you know like sort of taking in the moment but that that it's not exactly how i was framing it then but just kind of like just observing how things are working and how this like machine is operating in in a way that you you necessarily wouldn't be able to tell by just going in there for like five minutes yeah i mean and i mean that's all really interesting and and it kind of makes me think about or impresses upon me you know imagine you and your friends are are Weissman and Brain or Weissman and Davey and it it sort of communicates the I guess the like what what's before them the challenges presented by just say this is your first day at the diner they're making a film called Diner and mm-hmm. um, you know it's like all right well I see this is going on we'll probably want to spend a day with this guy we'll probably want to spend a few hours over here at the takeout counter you know and mm-hmm. and then even concurrently you know like like if okay we're focused over here um, you know with uh, the bus boy you know are we going to be missing something with the to-go person you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like and trying to make sure you're you're capturing the most interesting thing going on at any given point in time um but yeah yeah i mean um you're totally weissman pilled dude <laughs> yeah <laughs> ha- have have we gotten any like i don't think we have re- like reports of people who have been able to uh observe like weissman work uh, well there is like that one piece right like like w- watching weissman work i can't remember we we haven't talked about it on air though right 
No, no. Yeah, that that sounds familiar. I'm pretty sure we've read that at, at some point. But yeah, I mean, there's nothing prominent that comes to mind. I know, you know, maybe we'll get into it on our next episode, I believe, with Primate. But I think some of the, at least one of the scientists uh, filmed in there did come out and have some things to say about his experience um, cool. or, or objecting to at least the finished product but i mean you know that that was something that um peter labuza talked about with us in the scene episode right is that like you know by and large you don't hear about people uh coming at weissman for how they're portrayed um but i mean obviously this is also a a different question more about processes and methods um, but I mean, what what a doc that would be, right? Like filming Weissman film, mm-hmm. I guess some, something yeah. or like like do- documentary, I guess you'd call it. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, well, we'll have to like read that piece and maybe talk about it on our next episode, so so listeners can can maybe look forward to that. Um, okay. Uh, without further ado. <laughs> well, how was the food though? It was mediocre, and it was like 2 a.m. <laughs> by the time I was eating it. <laughs> See, someone should have been filming you once you got the food, just to, mm-hmm. after all that buildup. <laughs> but much like much like juvenile court, we uh, we don't always get to find out what happens after, um, and sometimes that's okay. Um, <clears throat> so, without further ado, uh, juvenile court. The uh, 1973 film by Frederick Wiseman, which um, he uh, shot, uh, I read like 63 hours over a month in yeah. Memphis and uh, in, in January and February of 1972. <clears throat> and then it uh, went on to be on PBS in October of 73. Um, I also read that it took about like $100,000 to produce, but I, I have no frame of reference of whether like... Huh if that means anything within his uh, filmography or not, or if that's just sort of like pretty standard. I mean, 63 hours is a lot to shoot. Um, but It is. I mean, yeah, yeah it's, it's hard to say because, I mean, now Weissman's in the midst of his NET deal. Um, so, like, his films are being publicly financed. And I, uh, the $100,000 number sounds to me like maybe that was – just like his deal per film during this right, period. Right, very, yeah, possible. Yeah. Um, yes. And uh, if we're, I will, I will concede Peter Labuza's point on last episode that the, that <laughs> Kansas City is, is in the Midwest. Uh, and that would make Juvenile Court uh, Wiseman's first film made in the South. Uh, but with the basic training. Where was that? Isn't that K- Kentucky, Tennessee? Kentucky, damn. Uh, then I really screwed up. <laughs> but well, we're we're yeah, you're right. We're getting we're getting a range. You know, he's moving around. Yeah. He's we're not we're not stuck in the Northeast or the Mid Atlantic. Um, yeah, he hasn't gone out west yet. I don't think. No, no, hasn't. Or well, I mean, I guess it's. Uh, Law and Order, I guess, is on the other side of the Mississippi. Well, sure. Just, but just yeah. barely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and, and I mean, this film has some pretty obvious connections to Titica Follies and high school and Law and & Order and, and basic training, I would say, too, because we kind of see, like, like state force and containment and justice uh, all sort of, like, coalescing yeah. in strange ways uh, with the youths of, of Memphis this time. Um, so this uh, this has a lot of connective tissue to what he's been working towards or working on uh building up to this yeah no definitely i mean if we talked about previously like basic training as a sequel to high school you know this is like (laughs) it could be like the high school uh universe of like you know other stories being told at the same time right like it could Mm -hmm. be we we know it's not from extra textual sources but like um you know could could be the same kids from the same high school you know I guess there's Weissman I think would uh, speak against this notion but I mean there is some some idea of these films all being somewhat allegorical in nature or like applicable beyond their specific context right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like and um, you know something we we've discovered is like this uh, particular court uh, in Memphis um, was the one that Weissman ultimately filmed kind of just as a confluence of um, circumstances like other courts had regulations against cameras in the courtroom um, he had a friend who recommended the Memphis court specifically to him as being like high school like how he heard about high school being kind of like a, an exemplary model or, a, mm-hmm. or at, at least you know better than average um but as far as you know beyond that you know this there's nothing in it except maybe for the seeming zeal of the electric chair and and some of the accents that would really situate this film in any given like geographic location yeah and um as far as i guess uh how he tells all how he explores this institution uh is pretty uh i was gonna say drastic but uh drastic shift in 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 um wiseman's methodology at least editing wise but really i mean like it's not drastic it's only drastic if you have a podcast about frederick frederick (laughs) but well um, well i mean last episode right we talked about how a scene is kind of like a cap point or like you know it, it kind of marks this kind of demarcation and i think watching these films in succession especially like it seems clear that like juvenile court is like the jumping off for Mm. like this next kind of phase of weissman's career yeah and that's that's well put and like uh this this scene or this film has uh is much longer but it doesn't necessarily have more scenes it just has like longer scenes um and you know that's something we did notice starting to ha- start to happen with a scene um and like it's funny when when i interviewed him for city hall i asked him sort of like about these like longer meeting scenes as something you know he does and um uh, and you know he uh didn't think that uh he, he thinks it came about organically but i think that we can see building up here between these last two films a clear like deliberate choice by him or deliberate choice but also maybe just driven by his interest um and letting 
scenes breathe a bit more. And uh, Juvenile Court specifically is kind of built around, um, like, I would say three cases, like three cases that kind of like come back, that we kind of come back to, or that like when they're there, they're taking up a substantial amount of time. And, um, and the film also revolves around this juvenile court's judge, Judge Kenneth Turner, um, who is definitely like the, as much of a main character as, as we've seen up till now. And uh, we, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about him with uh, our guest uh, of this episode, Eric Marsh. And uh, we talk about how he you know, makes decisions and we talk about some extra textual info about uh, Judge Turner. But um, I, I, I keep going back to this quote that we talked about in high school where Wiseman was, was talking about like um, hunting out places where power is exercised in institutions. And he said, like, that's where that's where you're going to find the real values of the institution express expressed. And um, that's obviously Judge Turner here, this this one judge that's doing all of the decision making, uh, right. basically. And I, and on one hand, it, it, I think it can maybe seem obvious, like, yeah, yeah, he's he's the head judge. Of course, Wiseman's going to make the movie about him. But Wiseman could be focusing on, you know, these children's experience or like through through various um, steps in the in the corridor on the ways that social workers intervene and interact with with children but um and and there are scenes where children whose cases being discussed are rarely even shown like they're on the fringes and these decisions are, are that this judge is making are like changing these kids entire lives and yet sometimes like Wiseman barely shows um them and which is obviously like a deliberate choice by Wiseman, like sort of like this irony, I think that that is at the center of juvenile court of like how the institution considers the children that it's set up to deal with. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, judge Turner is like the ultimate authority, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like it's kind of what he says goes. I mean, he has, and a kind of cotidery of like helpers and like social workers and child psychologists and you know administrators we we keep checking in with this receptionist as these kind of like transitional scenes and she's like patching people all over into different departments um but like you know to your point the the business of this court is is that just kind of dispensing decisions and fates and moving on and just doing that all the time um so as you know something Weissman says when he uh, a lot when he talks about this film is like you know it's it's not about guilt or innocence right of of the individual cases it's not about the effectiveness of the resolutions to each of these cases it's just about well let's see how power is exercised like you said and let's see how um uh you know in in the moment i guess these very vulnerable and emotionally volatile subjects are you know the subjects of not only weissman's les but the subject of the state's power um Mm. are sort of i guess dealing with this as it happens yeah and like we like continuing on this idea of like decide like decisions being made 
Um, it's interesting. We talked with uh, Eric about the film's ambiguity as something that really like drew him to this film. Like um, it, its ability to sort of explore these gray areas and also the film's you know increasing lack of didacticism or Wiseman's increasing lack of didacticism as as he's entering these institutions. <clears throat> You know, especially in contrast to something like basic training or law and order. Um, and Benson, in, in, in the chapter that uh, Benson and Anderson uh, wrote on um, a scene in juvenile court, um, they mentioned that juvenile court is unusual for Wiseman in that much, much of the film is explicitly about making decisions or arriving at decisions, yet the, the film as a whole has sort of this inconclusive air about it mm-hmm. that, like, nothing being decided on is like made out of clarity or we're, you know, we're not convinced that it's going to lead to like conclusive results that it's meant to. Right. And it's kind of hard to think yeah. that even the people making the decisions, um, think that it's going to, to lead to these like very, uh, strong results. But instead, I think we, we, we kind of are left with like the human aspect of, of, um, what it what it means when when humans make judgments and judgment calls and guesses about people's motivations and yada yada totally i mean like it's um this intersect it's very human and it's this intersection of like human fault and sort of technocratic rule and like the thing i think that's really interesting about weissman's focus here on methods and processes you know which is like kind of always this thing but like in the in this case um you know the there doesn't seem to be a ton of consistency or or logic apparent and you know why does this kid go to a foster home this guy Mm -hmm. gets kicked up to adult court you know this kid pleads out like like it doesn't as many people or as as we witness go through this system you know there's never a point where we're like oh i think based on what I've seen before that that this is going to happen to in this particular case right it's just always kind of up in the air until Judge Turner just comes down with his decision and and you know that's that and then we move on you know much like he does um and I think you know one of the things Weissman said about this film is that um it's it this was in his interview um with Alan Weston in the Thomas Atkins book um but that juvenile court is concerned with the limits of intervention and there's just Mm -hmm. no way to know their impact so like like that's really what's being examined here is like all right well can't how how more so how are uh how is the state intervening in like quote-unquote troubled youth lives and less so um you know what becomes of it yeah um and and kind of going back to what you were saying about <clears throat> turn like there's no way to know like um that what turner's deciding is is going to uh produce results or why he's doing what he's doing sometimes uh the benson and, and anderson chapter uh goes into good detail about like also pointing out double standards of like times when when decisions are made, um, mm-hmm. or <clears throat> ways that, uh, yeah, back, back in the, the double bind. Yeah. And ways that also that like 
these kids can be manipulated through language by between like multiple people within the court um, in ways that just seem like um, that seem deliberate on, on behalf of the agency or, or, you know, an interplay between two people um, being like, you know, this, this kid's 11, we can manipulate them into mm-hmm. um, saying this or believing this or, or whatever, um, or making, making them believe that what we're doing for them is right. There's a moment like so we we get a few scenes with the sh- child psychologist administering like the classic Rorschach tests, mm-hmm. um, and they're really interesting for a few reasons. But the the reason you it just reminded me of it is um, how he seems to every time he gets an answer he's like anything else kind of like leaving the door open to either lead them to say something that might you know in the Miranda's sense like literally be used against them yeah. or or something that he feels is more illuminative I mean you get the sense that he has his preconceived notions and he's looking for evidence to support his hypotheses rather than you know the other way around yeah yeah <clears throat> they talk about how so much of this is driven by psychology and that Wiseman might have been sort of like taking umbrage not only with intervention but with psychology as again like what are the limits of psychology um mm-hmm. and the way that that like turner is basing a lot of his judgment on like you know the the uh idea in, in the line that he says about like i think his response to the child's behavior was an overreaction but i do not see him as a future threat to this child or any other you know just overreacted like there is no um there's there's no like evidence that he's basing that on right it's just like a feeling it's oh, yeah. just judgment yeah we don't we don't get and they they in that scene they talk about having spoken with the parents but we don't get to see that and we don't know if the psychologist administered you know any kind of examination that would justify their comments but like you know they seem to really uh kind of excessively be giving the benefit of the doubt to this abusive stepfather who like you know turned a three-year-old black and blue Um, yeah and also the same thing with the um the uh father who might have uh abused the the child like just seems to get off um in juxtaposition with um the kid tommy the babysitter Um, yeah but yeah yeah i mean it it seems um, that the court is kind of predisposed against kids to me to some degree. Um, and, you know, I think Weissman says he feels everyone here is well intentioned and doing the best they can for what they th- think that means. Um, but that doesn't always seem super clear. And, and, you know, back to the word ambiguous, I mean, this film um in relating to kind of how it's maybe taking a next step for for Weissman's work um uh something Thomas Atkins noted that I I really gelled with was that he that Weissman is attempting create a cinema of full immersion um doing away with the separation between audience and subject and in that he is showing multiple vantage points simultaneously so at any one moment 
the audience can be situated with a judge, the lawyers, social workers, parents, the kids, uh, both accused and victims, you know, um, uh, as we see in one notable case. Um, but it's, it's this kind of like, I don't even know what to call it, but like it, it's it's something. Well, I think A is very unique to the documentary form, right? Because I mean, how often, outside of like you know, like a big ensemble Altman movie, or like I, I don't know, but are are we dealing with these sort of multiple perspectives that for the audience to situate themselves with, like you know, different characters, and that's something like Weissman's style of filmmaking, like just so. Um, expertly creates the opportunity for yeah it's it's great to see like especially in like like we said juvenile court being this this step forward for him in that like allowing us to do that even more in these longer segments and two even as we talked about like the other kind of docs contemporary with Weissman too I mean Mm -hmm. they're very focused on like individuals and like they really do situate the audience with one figure or perspective and that's something a lot of docs continue to do to this day you know more more didactic or you know biographical profiles and I think you know remains unfortunately kind of uh, elusive and I mean it's uh, to the Atkins point, it's difficult to pull off, right? It's it's not an easy feat to give present something to an audience and say like, here are all these myriad perspectives for mm-hmm. you to consider like these single events from. Um, it's one of the things that makes his films uh, both very dense but also very enriching. Yeah, yeah, we're sit- we're sitting here like a week or so after uh, the new documentary Fauci premiered. Tell your ride, right? Which is just like, you know, I haven't seen it. I can't speak to its veracity or whatever. But like, you know what that is. (laughs) You know, you know, you know what it is in a couple ways. You know what it is, just kind of like on a formal level. I think Mm -hmm. you you know exactly what this is going to be. But also, um, this is something I I talked about a little elsewhere. But like, there's. COVID is still happening, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like the the book on this has not been written, and there's this compulsion, I think, to try and through mediums like documentary and and other you know narrative uh, story mediums like like shape that history and and get it codified um before somebody else has a chance to i guess right Mm -hmm. and like the thing that's so beautiful about weissman films is that a he's not concerned so much with history it's more of like a byproduct of his films right like but there is um no like he doesn't have an angle right like right like like the and then us coming in as viewers 50 years later can go and see like oh you know what does this tell us about the you know criminal justice system in the 70s or in memphis at that time or you know psychological uh, relations to law like like you know they there's there are no like immediate stakes where it's like you know we have to create the definitive account of like this uh institution or event or moment in time yeah there is sort of this um 
a weird conception. I don't know where it comes from, but like that, like I think a lot of viewers have, or a lot of films and filmmakers like to give off that, like, you know, maybe it comes out of like, we're working so hard to make this. And also I'm sure they're competing for, you know, space on the shelf and also just like attention that like, this is the uh, defini defining work on, you know, right. the Bourdain or whatever, or this right. this uh, person's legacy, whatever. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Stakes. And he has, like, disavowed himself of that. And also unlearned the angle thing, um, which we've talked about early on. Right, but I mean, like, I mean, I guess not to diverge too far from juvenile court but i mean like like you know you really have to ask what what purpose is this serving something like a fauci and is it like mm -hmm. you know there i think there is the practical sense that there's just such a hunger for you know, quote unquote content especially on the streaming level that like oh this thing's huge covid fauci everyone knows about it let's make a doc you know right but like you know it's just um it's also like well why why this now why not wait a little bit like like i think i when i was talking about that film i was thinking about a couple others one of them being being elmo have you seen that <laughs> and like ago. like very soon after that film came out you know all this uh, stuff was revealed about that guy's relationship with with teenage boys mm. um and it's like you know be be careful who you make your heroes, I guess, on film, right? Because, like, like especially before a story's over, before it, it, all the events have had a chance to play out, because you could end up with egg on your face, like in that case. So, like, you know, I, I don't, I don't have a lot to say. I don't think about like Fauci and like, you know, what good or bad a job he's doing. <laughs> well, but, but I mean, yeah. like, when, when something is you know we're in the midst of it and this is a problem i had with another film that came out even earlier this year about covid called in the same breath um nanfu wang's uh, new film which i think's on hbo um but it's like they there's this degree of insidiousness about it and that and mm -hmm. that you know really trying to craft the official line and uh, as things happen and that in a way in such a way that it will propagate throughout the culture and the viewers will internalize mm. the narratives of these films and and hence doing so like become the official narratives and then and then that gets codified and that's what's written and that's what you have to argue against um in order to seek the truth i think do you think that happened with the rpg documentary at all I didn't see it. <laughs> um, I saw that. I actually interviewed those directors who, who just came out with the Julia Child um, doc. Um, you know, I, it, it really would be interesting to see what would have happened to that doc done a couple years later, given, I guess, her mixed legacy now. Um, but you know i don't think those filmmakers probably would have taken that approach it, it was much more of a celebratory or laudatory kind of film but like that that's another thing that is the game you play in working with these films about giant figures um another another um doc that came to mind with this conversation was uh 
this Ren and Stimpy one, Happy, Happy, Joy, Joy. Um, you don't need to see it. But the, <laughs> the, the, point, the point being that during the shooting, similar to being Elmo, all this horrible stuff was revealed about the guy, but they had already sort of invested themselves in this like mm-hmm. individual hero myth to him. And then it's like, well, how do we, you know, stay true to events uh, while at the same time, like, you know, not throwing away the entire film we've been working on this whole time. And, and yeah, I mean, it, it's such a dangerous process, but I mean, getting back to juvenile court, it's not, you know, this, this is a film that allows like all of Weissman's films us to come away with, uh, all kinds of opinions on judge Turner, uh, based on our own, you know, predilections, right? Like, yeah. And like, and there's something about that uh, flexibility and openness that allows his films to be like relevant or whatever relevant means. You know, like it, it allows them to be timeless. I think we talked about this with Nalita uh, Shani, but um, and talking about these things like the Fauci doc, no one's watching that in mm-hmm. seven years from now. <laughs> like right, right. No, like. Uh, uh, I mean, there is also something insidious about that, just as term in terms like you were saying, like of just making content. But like, yeah, like, th- like we're able to talk about all of these different things in this landscape, like just by talking about this movie from 1973 that has no ch- tangential relation to them, like subject matter wise. Yeah, yeah. What one film I will mention that I thought um, did this kind of thing well is called um, Almost There. Uh, which came out of Kartemquin uh, a few years back um, and was about uh, a regional kind of outsider artist. And in the course of filming, things, again, were learned about mm. uh, his past and stuff. But, you know, the filmmakers then uh, made the decision to include their discovery of that and incorporate... I mean, yeah, good. isn't that the the other Kartemkun like minding the gap? Isn't that basically like what he totally. did as well? Yeah, yeah that, very. I'm very much so. I mean, and and uh, people have a lot of opinions about that. I still need to watch. There's a Kartemkun or the Criterion bonus feature with um, mm. the girlfriend of the guy in that um, that I still need to watch. I'm really interested in. But like you know, there there are ways in which uh, obviously this isn't what Weissman does, but I think especially recently, where it becomes necessary for a documentarian to, I guess, like insert themselves and, or or at least show their hand or show their processes, and and in doing so, creating something more honest and truthful than you know if they that maintain a quote-unquote like fly on the wall kind of style yeah i mean i think like uh maybe there's a reason why we're we're talking about cartemkin because steve james is like the master at that (laughs) yeah that's his that's his methodology basically but uh yeah okay um (laughs) and we can we can get back to to juvenile court um sure I, i i i wanted to talk about um religion in this film because it comes sure. up in really funny ways. What's that? Sure. Um, it I, it comes up in really funny ways, but just as like continuing this thread in um, in Wiseman's uh, filmography of like how religion 
pops up and rears his head and whether there is a relationship to like each other you know the appearances um and we've talked about it on multiple occasions uh, especially coming off of uh, a scene but um there are like two distinct moments in this film where they become like uh explicit uh subject matter and one of them is um in uh tommy the babysitter uh he's being like like processed or whatever and yeah. they ask him for his what his three wishes would be and <laughs> right. he says um That everyone would believe in God. What else? That everyone would go to church. Anything else? And they have three more wishes. Which, you know, reveals that those aren't his real wishes yeah, at yeah. all, right? Because, like, you know, I still still need to get mine in. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, I mean, th- that that scene is, is great. It's funny. Um, I mean, like, Tommy is a character. He has a lot of great lines and, and, and reveals a lot about himself to the prosecutors as well, um, like you're saying. Because, um, like, what that scene is also... Uh, or just largely like revealing is like uh, this process is not meant to like reveal any sort of truth. It's to psychologically draw out some narrative of you and what you've done just based on reading these answers, just like showing right. the Rorschach stuff. Um, right. But anyway, um, the other, the other moment is, um, is this big, the, there are two scenes that deal with Robert, um, the, uh, kid who uh had a bad trip on lsd and uh he is trying to be he's like being recruited by these two men who work in something called teen challenge um mm-hmm. which is like this christian reform uh basically like to to ki- kids who have had like bad streak they try to um uh they evangelize to them and and see if they will take christ into their life as a way to reform and get off the streets yeah yeah um and i i think i I think the way that i could that i was thinking how this ties into other aspects of that wiseman has talked about religion or shown religion is that both of these uh, i I think it fits in with like an uh, an occasional skepticism of religion and wiseman's point because neither of these cases speak to the viewer as evangelical scenarios for religion right like they don't come about organically right they're like kind of like used as uh, as ways to be relieved from the court um Mm -hmm. or an escape uh rather than like some sort of organic thing that comes into your life you know yeah i think for everyone involved it's like religion is a tool to some degree, mm-hmm. right? right? It's like for for Tommy and Robert, it's a tool to try and capture the perception of innocence or reform or get them out of their situation, right? Like like I'm religious or I believe in God, like have mercy on me kind of, you know, for the court and the judge, it's like a tool 
um, to to you know suss those very things out. It's like, well, okay, um, am I being played here? You know, as he does seem to think he is, um, um, or are these sincere desires for uh, Teen Challenge? You know, it's not quite clear <laughs> what the angle is for them you know um i i I guess you know it's some sincere evangelical belief um but like like religion is in the middle of this milieu for some reason like like and and you know you could chalk it up to the times you could chalk it up to the south um but maybe you know going back to a scene and we were like like Christianity specifically is something that has a presence in most of his films and it's just like you know underscores the fact of America and American institutions mm-hmm. being just so tinged with Christianity you know going as far back as you want to go with it but like like um, maybe to to your point the kind of skepticism or cynicism about it is that like well why why is it here at all why in this uh, situation of determining guilt or innocence and and the ultimate destinies of kids you know are we you know, bringing this in at all as 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 anything that's relevant to uh, the cases at hand, mm-hmm. you know, may, yeah. maybe s- similar to psychology and, and his thoughts he might have there. It's like, you know, these are both uh, dogmas and and systems of thought that seem to be outside of like the material uh, elements and facts of a given situation, and yet bear. Uh, seemingly like inordinate weight in what's going to happen ultimately. Yeah, yeah, that like Judge Turner will take that into uh, account, and I'm sure he has in the past, and let for people sure. off for yeah. for following that line. Yeah, and uh, yeah, in the Benson and Anderson piece, they have a, f- a funny line about the two very animated Teen Challenge guys that we talk about with Eric, about like them being more interested in putting themselves be- like their lives before the judge than like yeah. actually recruiting this kid and it's definitely true or or, or like helping him really it's like yeah. you know a, a, they're like kind of sad sack stories of like you know drug use and petty crime um yet we're here to decide whether or not robert is going to be tried as a minor or not right like like what what what's the game here and and i guess that also speaks to like just the irrelevance of their whole program in in the court or outside of it it's like you know what what are you trying to achieve teen challenge guys like <laughs> other other than being very silly and and yeah. uh, characters yeah um another thread that i wanted to continue talking about was um just like this idea of um, uh, diminished autonomy and how it relates to the body and how bodies are controlled. Um, because, uh, like, we see, like, in the beginning of the film, the, the structure's a little bit, before it gets into these longer scenes, it, it, it's kind of, like, a little bit abrupt, like, uh, abrupt short scenarios that we're kind of used to with the earlier Wiseman yeah. films. And, um, but we are shown, like, um, you know, police bringing in kids and basically like this whole process of like children being like separated from 
like outside connection and family and being processed and um you know them eventually being given like these uniforms and exercising in the yard um and we see them like watching tv just very like wordlessly and just like unanimatedly watching tv and doing exercises and um it it just is uh it's a small part of what he said and i think that we talk a little bit with eric about like maybe wanting to see more kind of like wanting to see more cooking in a scene but um there it's definitely there uh as like wiseman sees this institution as another way that um children this time like sort of wayward youths mm -hmm. are being like very um rigorously controlled to not uh, have any autonomy and that goes into like the actual cases like i mentioned before of like sometimes they're actually like set to the fringes of the scenes and not being able to speak for their own selves for sure uh and i mean we see that you know most uh illustrated most clearly in the last case of the film mm -hmm. where where i think that kid's name was bob too right like um he's just not involved in the decision making at all you know it's, yeah. it's a total backroom deal about him done without his involvement at all um but um to the discussion about kind of this juvenile detention element of the court it's like we also have no sense how long any of these kids are here like what mm -hmm. from from like ingestion to detention to court like like how long does any of that take like um that 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 would, i think would have been illustrative to learn um but i guess you know to the the point of weissman it's like you know this is a, isn't a film about any one kid or any one case um but i guess taking on the perspective of this building almost like like it it's really you know we were talking about multiple multiple perspectives earlier um something uh stephen mamber noted in his journal is is he puts this film uh alongside ones like rashomon or blow up where there's just this total uh, lack of certainty about events. Mm -hmm. uh, he, call, he calls it the elusiveness of knowing. Um, and when you create a, a film or a situation that incorporates all these multiple perspectives, that's what you're really left with is like the perspective of the building, the perspective of the court is like what's happening within its walls kind of like uh, uh, without judgment or feeling but like you know if you're the if you're the building it's like this is just uh what's occurring all the time and maybe you know i'm not to get so poetic but like you don't know even how many kids you have or how long they're there or who they are right you just are always seeing kids there and you're <laughs> always seeing them doing jumping jacks yeah. or running in circles or watching tv and it's just kind of like the constant milieu that exists within you yeah and if you're like this one judge going through all of these children like you know I'm, I'm sure that like again like um maybe this is also a, a little cheesy but maybe not of like drawing a line to like this assembly line that we see sometimes in wiseman's films that this is kind of an assembly line for judge turner of just like yeah all right this is my job i get here i read up i meet with people in my chambers i listen and then i make a decision and then on to the next one 
he he is you know say what you will about him he does appear completely even keeled throughout the whole film like no matter the like severity of a given case or the you know seriousness of the crime he always seems to come at it with like the same kind of tenor and resolve and like he never really gets worked up and i guess that just kind of to what you're saying like comes with the territory of like you know uh it'd probably be a rookie move right to to be personally invested or feel emotional about any one given kid or case um because you know that that'll be your downfall if when you're going through mm-hmm. as we mentioned later eighteen thousand cases a year like there's just there's no room for for emotion or feeling i, I guess yeah Although obviously he is still given to those pre preconceived, you know, biases and whatnot. But yeah, we talk about it a lot with our guest Eric Marsh. Um, uh, one thing that I, I just a little note that I, I think I told you about off air, but might be interesting to our our listeners. Um, that uh, when this film originally uh, aired on PBS in October of nineteen seventy three, um, it it it's usually he gets like these like uh repeat showings like a week or two after whatever it is and uh this was delayed uh nationally uh for its repeat showing um because tommy the babysitter his lawyer tried to sue wiseman for for privacy violation um and it 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 delayed the repeat showing uh and likely never aired in memphis again because uh whoever makes decisions for the for the pbs uh affiliate in memphis um was kind of thrown off by that and also kind of like thought it might be sensitive to people recognizing subjects in memphis um so uh so yeah uh, i just bring that up as like another note of like um how how these films are being received or some of the not like in a widespread way but like some of the fallout of making these films that he's making um Mm -hmm. and some of the you know pushback and stuff that he is probably like um building up calluses uh, against um but yeah yeah i mean and and too you know it's it's kind of concurrent with like people are starting to know what a documentary is right like like it is developing a cultural presence that it's like whereas maybe before like who's gonna see this like whatever it's this guy making this art film it'll show in universities or something you know like at a film festival but now it's like on pbs like like there have been there's been salesmen there's been gimme shelter and uh, Grey Gardens, I guess I'm just listing Maisel's films. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know, there's, there, people have, like, a frame of reference for a documentary and what they can be and, and how they can be utilized and how uh, they could create perceptions for people. Yeah. And, like, you know, there there's some need, I guess, by Tommy's lawyer, at least, to feel like, well, uh, I guess going back to what we were talking earlier about is like crafting the narrative, right? And mm-hmm, and making mm-hmm. making sure that that doesn't get out of your hands. And as we mentioned, Tommy confesses after Weissman finished shooting, um, so it probably became a moot point to some degree. Um, yeah. But but you know, if you're a lawyer, right, you don't want 
a potential jury being influenced by seeing this film, right? Um, True. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, one, and one, they were also giving out awards at this point for documentaries. Right, right. But yeah. Uh, you, see, you see that in the Oscar clip. <laughs> you see Tommy going, this is a bunch of bunk. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, um, yeah. What one thing um, before we we move on to Eric? Like I thought was interesting to note here um, is sort of Weissman's increasing sense of like ability to do anything about this, or or like uh, just kind of increasing cynicism. I don't know what the word is, but like. Through his he, interviews, through his well, well about his films specifically, like like so mm-hmm. in the in the interview in the Atkins book, um, I come away with doubts about the capacity to motivate people to what is usually called large scale social change, um, and that's something that's de- he says has developed as as I've made more films. Um, he sees more of the inner workings of our societal mechanisms. You know, he's he's seeing the truth of um those mechanisms and processes and it's like a downer right it's it's like the more and more he sees the less and less confident he is that anything can change and Mm -hmm. and uh he even gets maybe a little testy with another interview talking about you know like the power of documentary films to create change and he's like a that's not what i'm here to do that's not what these films are about but b like change like what are we going to change how how are we going to change these problems and especially how are we going to do it with a film right that's that that's not his goal but like it's just i I think it was after hospital right he had already said like i've made four of the most depressing films ever made (laughs) and here we are like three films later saying like documentaries have no power power to create change nothing can be changed everything is terrible and it's always going to be that way kind of yeah i think one of the interviewers was like did you start out this cynical is like this cynical and he was like no it built up right built up over time um yeah eric uh talks about how this is like he's in his punk phase which i think is uh a useful like i i said it kind of jovially but like i think is actually a useful way to look at a lot of wiseman's early films and definitely like that's definitely what i was thinking um or didn't articulate but thinking that same sentiment when we were watching like especially titica follies um yeah but uh which ironically i think had the most direct impact of maybe still any one of his films yeah um but it is interesting to think about like those filmmakers that do have early periods that are like punk you know stuff like you know john waters or like almodovar Mm -hmm. like that are coming out of movements and have like things to say and do it abrasively and he is doing that like some of these films are pretty abrasive um it'll be interesting to see like uh where he goes with that like watching it so chronologically yeah and i mean uh what are we in like his early 40s now by this point about somewhere late 30s early 40s yeah early 40s yeah early 40s yeah so i mean it, it's 
kind of funny to think about this, like uh, Weissman as an early 40-year-old guy, like coming in with this kind of punk energy, right? Mm-hmm. But like, like I think um, it's it's a righteous sort of energy because, you know, he, he is a truth seeker. He wants to uh, investigate and interrogate and reveal you know, the ways in which all of our lives are kind of, you know, con- not controlled, but like like the, the systems in place that shape all of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that is an immense concept. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. you know, as, as we're keep talking about and discovering, like I think that's, um, you know, why it is this multi-film project and not something that uh can even be attempted to be achieved in in a single documentary be it you know 90 minutes two and a half hours six hours what have you it's like you know the culmination and interconnection between all of Weissman's films and by extension you know all of uh the institutions that we encounter be that be they official state institutions be they institutions of leisure or um you know uh international power or what have you it's like Mm -hmm. like like it's just the totality of um existence in america i guess that was well well put uh uh, good good (laughs) note for for our listeners to dwell on um but yeah Uh, Speaking yeah. of listeners, um, anyone anyone uh, write to us this week? Oh, let me pull up Podcast at gmail.com <laughs> uh, where you can reach us anytime for um, questions, comments. We did get one from Eugene Fernandez. Hi there. This may not be relevant to you, but I saw Wiseman Podcast gaining traction and figured I'd reach out with a way to continue growing out. <laughs> uh, thanks, Thank Eugene. You, Eugene. <laughs> He's always looking uh, out for us. Yeah, Eugene and Carlos have been very considerate. You know, I tell people that they could, they can write in and, um, you know, with comments or questions about Wiseman um, uh, or, you know, asking for access to readings or, or what have you. But um, these listeners have gone beyond that to give us advice on how to grow our audience. And I think that that is special. Uh, yeah, it is special. I mean, you know, un- unprompted, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's very altruistic listeners. Thank you, That's right. Eugene. That's right. SEO-minded. Yeah. Um, okay, well, yeah, uh, I hope that you guys enjoy our conversation with Eric uh, Marsh. It's a good one. It's fun. Good morning, Juvenile Court. Thank you. Do you wish to make a complaint? Thank you. Good morning, Juvenile Court. I'll ring the Child Support Office. Thank you. Good morning, Juvenile Court. Central Intake. Thank you. Good morning, Juvenile Court. Is this regarding Child Support Payments? Thank you. Welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. We're here with our guest, Eric Marsh, filmmaker of 2017 Film Orders. Uh, educator at DePaul University, co-host of the Gauntlet podcast, and uh, General Wiseman head, is that right? 
That's correct. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to have you back to talk about the latest installment of The Last Dance. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah uh, like two people will get that. Uh, but um, we're happy to have you, Eric. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing good, hanging in there. How are you guys doing? Great, great. Can't complain. Good to talk about Wiseman. Um, Always a so, good day. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I guess just uh, generally, what is what is your your Wiseman intro story? How how did you how did you get into it? Well, like a like a Wiseman film, it's kind of long and unwieldy, and or it just sort of has these different parts to it. It doesn't really like make sense, right? Uh, or it makes sense as a whole. But so I was, you know, uh, it's actually funny listening to you guys and hearing Arlen talk about going to Odd Obsession and renting Wiseman. Yeah. Of course, that's also where I, uh, quote unquote, discovered him. But I was volunteering there and I remember the Chicago before, video store. That's so, right. Yeah. Yes. R.I.P. Um, the legendary video store, and of course they had a huge stack of Wiseman's when you know no one had them. But I really didn't know who he was at the time. And the, the first time I remember like hearing of this filmmaker Frederick Wiseman, someone at the store was like, "We got to take all these down. He's coming to town, and, right. like, just in case we don't want to run any risks of like litigation." Uh, and I remember, yeah, like helping them take them down. Um, and it was a little while later that someone at the store put on the store while I was working. And that was like the first images of a Wiseman I ever saw. Um, and after that, I was like, oh, what is what is this? Um, and I rented the classics. I did, you know, the high school uh, titty cut follies circuit. And I, I really liked them, but I don't, you know, I don't know if my brain was big enough at the time, to be honest. Like they... They washed over me a, a little bit, and it would be like a couple years before I returned uh, to them, which really happened because of Twitter and, uh, you know, evangelists like Robert Greene, the filmmaker, was like a big person, just like always talking about Wiseman. And as I was sort of like, you know, in the 2010s, I was doing a lot of editing um, and Wiseman as an editor, I think is, yeah, I mean, he's one of the all timers as I've come to learn. So uh, after that, I, I started watching him. And then in 2015, there was a Doc Films retrospective, a sort of mini retrospective in Chicago that I unfortunately had to teach during and could go to none of them. <laughs> but but Ben and Cat Sachs programmed this like amazing mini retrospective and my dear friends Alex Sherman and Ryan Saunders went to all of them. And so collectively we just start like began watching more and like the Wiseman cult formed. And that was mm -hmm. really when like I started to appreciate him on much deeper levels and like, oh, these are cool documentaries, but like, oh my god, this guy is you know, a master and I can learn from him constantly, you know? Yeah. So you should have just taught the films that they were showing <laughs> and you could go see them. That's true. Unfortunately, you know, like I've, I've mostly been a fictional filmmaker 
in my life and I've mostly taught fictional filmmaking, but I'm, I'm, I'm sneaking him in whenever and wherever I can. You know? You've taught, have you taught him ever? I, I've taught high school in the context of film history, but other than that, I, other than clips like hospital obviously always gets a pretty big, uh, reaction, you know, show him the bad trip. Pretty they like that, you know? And does, I, I think I remember Chicago Public Library doesn't have canopy, right? Does does DePaul? Correct. Uh, yes, yeah. we do. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, there you go. Because yeah, I mean, it was it was very sudden. Just uh, the odd obsession takedown. You know, I was like in the middle of my Weissman run. I was like, hey, where are all the Weissmans? And they're like, goop. <laughs> he, he's standing right behind you. Um, well, I was gonna. I, <laughs> I was gonna. Uh, I thought. I thought the way that your story was gonna go was that like that that sort of takedown added sort of like this um, this uh, whatever the opposite word of stigma is like you know this heightened like mm. attention to 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 that like sort of uh, ooh there must be something about this that we gotta like take right take I mean in my mind yeah but it just uh, you know it took me a couple years to act on it you yeah, know? yeah yeah yeah. Gotcha. But the mystique, for sure, was there just from, again, you know, all these weirdo video store guys being like, what do you mean you don't know Frederick Wiseman? Come on. (laughs) You're like, oh, yeah, of course. All right. (laughs) Video store guy slash uh, pizza's parlor proprietor. Uh, (laughs) Has has Wiseman made a a Chicago film? Yes. Uh, uh, He made public public housing. housing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. but so so getting to the topic of the day eric i mean why a juvenile court well it's you know i'm really interested in longer films and this being the the first epic wiseman as it were it's like two hours and 20 minutes uh it really blew me away when i saw it because as you guys know in some of these longer wiseman films you really feel just like I don't know, lost in a maze in a really good way. Like you're just in there, you're you're sort of trapped, you know, uh, to a to a certain degree, and you just sort of settle in and start to appreciate all these different things. And I don't know, juvenile courts one that really resonated with me. And I was reflecting on it, you know, before I came on. And of course, I had to think about the time I went to juvenile court. Mm -hmm. Uh, in like the late 90s when I was 14 years old I was arrested uh, with a couple other kids for breaking into an abandoned building to spray paint it Mm -hmm. and this was a building that was like marked for teardown and we broke into it and like tagged it up and then got arrested Uh, we were also I think uh, you know had alcohol on us or something like that uh, as well to add to the charges but I remember thinking the whole time you know just 14 year old me like this is bullshit like (laughs) what did what like what did we do that like this is an abandoned building like come on we tagged the least offensive thing there is like how is this a crime etc and ultimately yeah I had to like go to the court and I, I really don't remember that much of it it was very like formulaic, you know, just say this, you know, do this, whatever. Obviously I was like guilty and I got a uh, hundred hours of community service, which I did by delivering newspapers at the hospital. Hmm. Uh, so now I'm thinking back and going like, man, that really was, especially like the hospital and going, I had to go, I went to this hospital like every Sunday for 
over a year delivering. You mean like papers. like room to room? Yes. Like, they had a newspaper person wow. with a cart every Sunday, and I would go and like yes, like just wow. give out newspapers. Um, and that was like a very formative <laughs> experience for me, you know, um, yeah. in being like, yeah, this sucks. But like doing it and, and enjoying it to a certain degree, drinking a Mountain Dew while I was there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, you know, maybe deep down, that's certainly what like draws me to it. But I also think it's like uh, referring to like like Mamber's piece on, or his little like bit on this film he you know starts by talking about ambiguity and i think that's like something i'm very interested in cinema fiction or nonfiction. and this is like one of the most ambiguous wisemans i think to a certain degree you know yeah yeah it, we can we can definitely get into it not to like jump too far ahead but the word that keeps like coming up in um both like pieces about this film and through Wiseman's like interviews is this word like complexity, which is like synonymous, right? With, with ambiguity. Uh, the, there are no like easy answers uh, about this film and what happens within it. It's interesting. I think to relating to that is I think most of what we have all read about this film was written relatively contemporaneously or, mm-hmm. or not that much long after I think looking back on it, in 2021 it the the spectrum shifts a little bit more towards maybe not so great um right right. yeah slightly more clear cut i mean i think about something that really struck me in this film is just like total lack of agency right of any of the kids really even even to um advocate on their own behalf you think about like in titty cut follies and there's kind of the constant advocating or or interplay between the inmates and and the the doctors or guards i mean like kids in this with a few you know notable and lengthy exceptions don't speak a ton and they definitely in this film at least don't speak to each other um it's it's like you know really just uh their destinies are are being decided without you know any uh any input from any of them yeah i mean we see that like mostly like most um poetically in the in the last scene where it's just like you know you have somebody who can't speak on their behalf (laughs) like it is some like other other agencies are, are deciding their future um but yeah yeah i think also thinking again in retrospect like Arlen was saying, this film also is, yeah, sort of sits at this very interesting time in American history where you've got, especially as it relates to juveniles, because it's the end of the draft is happening around this time, right? So it's like, how are we going to get people to join the military, right? And there's a, a very strong military presence in juvenile court in terms of either sending people to military school or even like the kid that it's Who like revealed is, yeah. he's like wearing a yeah or the kid that wants to or the kid that's wearing a uniform yeah um so thinking about that sort of like you know juvenile court to military pipeline that's sort of being like pushed in the film but also this is the beginning really of the war on drugs quote unquote um yeah. you know as it would intensify in the 70s and again i think if we look back especially yeah, at the sort of racial aspect of the film and how it is, yeah, this sort of, like, patrician kind of system. It's just like, here's the here's the white judge, 
and he's the one who ultimately just decides everything. You know, mm-hmm. even though there's all this whole system around him, at the end of the day, he's just like the the daddy, uh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and and that's it. You know, and it's very yeah, very disquieting at times. I think. Yeah, I mean, like that. That's interesting. You bring that up, the war on drugs, because like, you know, this was shot January, February '72. Um, I think it was like four, maybe five years before that, that LSD was, was actually like listed and banned as a controlled substance. So you think about that one kid, Robert, and it's like, you know, this one, he wouldn't even be here five years ago. Right. But it's just kind Mm. of the incarceral machine revving up into the behemoth that it's become like, like, yeah, you know, just kind of the rumblings of that. Well, there's a particular, yeah, disdain for drugs throughout the movie as expressed by, like, the people of the institution and especially the judge, right? Because he, he even says that later at some point to someone, like, late in the film. He's like, if I have to lock up a million yeah. of you, yeah, I will. Right. Yeah. And he's specifically referring to, like, kids doing acid, you know? Yeah. And you're like, this guy wants to lock up a million people for doing acid? Like, he's not joking. Yeah. I mean, it's the same guy, too, you know, going back to how we, we look at this film in retrospect is like looking at these photos of this naked, beaten, bruised boy and being like, well, it looks like this uh, prospective stepfather just got carried away a little overly zealous and uh, correcting the child. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. So, and Eric, you talked about how, like, this judge, who is kind of the main character uh, as far as Wiseman films go, and, and, like, so most of this, of the decisions this entire, like, institution is, is making, which, you know, is affecting many people's lives, are, like, based on this guy's opinions or, like, the temperaments and, and um, lots of, like, do you think this child is likely to do this again? And um, yeah. it, it, it's funny in, in this... Um, I can't remember if it was. I think it was a different inter- interview than than I'll than I'll mention later. But Wiseman talked about like working for a social science consulting firm for Cambridge for a while, and just seeing all this like federal money being like pissed away on on like these middle class professionals who are just like speculating on on issues that involve lives that they have no yeah, you know that right. they they know nothing about, and, which I think is is um uh kind of the core of state legislature much later it's just these guys like discussing these big issues and going yeah i think i agree with you uh just like out of nowhere but um but you know and we can talk about whether we think that the judge is fair or not and 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 wiseman you know speaks on that himself in in interviews but at the core he's one man and he's he's like he has biases whether you know he knows about them or not um, and also he's making decisions, I, I, I think this film would, would suggest, based on, you know, his reputation as this judge. And um, again, like you see towards the end, like in this case that he's unprepared for, that he he, he seems to think that this boy is not dangerous, but it, it feels too late. It feels too late for him to turn around, to change his mind, like discipline wise. Like it feels like a lot of the decisions he makes is wrapped up in his reputation as like this guy who's standing at the front of the room and should be firm and should know and should feel confident about what he's about to say. Absolutely. And I don't know if you guys didn't look into 
his sort of like real life history at all, Judge Turner? No. Oh man. Okay. So, <laughs> so you know, again, talk about like ambiguous sort of characters. Uh, on the one hand, you know, one of the things I read in sort of like obituaries of him and other local sources was, you know, he was this trailblazer in juvenile court and specifically in um, like deadbeat dad like paternity cases. He like really went after the dads and and like got like a billion dollars worth of you know child support payments like by by attacking the the absentee dads right um and that's a yeah that's like a really interesting uh, part of his legacy but of course like he was an ex-marine a former police captain he did go to law school but he never took the bar had had detective too right yes Exactly. He mentions that he was an investigator at a certain point, Uh, but he never even took the bar. And he presided over this court in Shelby County from 1964 to 1997. And in fact, he was the first um, desegregated judge Hmm. of that court in 1964. Uh, And he basically ran it up into the 90s. And the people who are still like in positions of power in Shelby County, Tennessee, are people who were appointed by Judge Turner. And in fact, his name came up in connection, uh, just sort of like Googling around. There was an intercept piece uh, that related to the George Floyd protests and specifically Memphis. And Turner's (laughs) legacy comes up a lot in that piece because there's lots of local black activists who accuse him of plantation politics and that sort of like white patrician backroom dealing that we see a little bit of in the film um, as just being, you know, the way of life there for the last 50 years unbroken in this very Mm -hmm. sort of racially, um, you know, charged system, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also um, significant to note, I think he was the only juvenile court judge for the whole county. And he he saw eighteen thousand cases a year, so Jeez. when you think about how we don't we don't see one kind of you know like trial trial right like like innocent guilty like it's all plea bargaining right. it's all uh, deferring to other uh, jurisdiction or courts like like you know just what needs to happen on an institutional like nuts and bolts level to just process all those kids every year uh like you know and you 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 start to ambiguity you you know you think about like issues of like well are they doing right or wrong it's like it's impossible to do anything in these situations like like you're you're set up against you and and you know again the word ambiguity keeps coming up. The word I, I keep seeing Wiseman use when he talks about this film is insoluble. Like these problems yeah. are insoluble. Like, like this, there's just, it's like a no win scenario. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted to talk kind of like, um, as somewhat aesthetically as it relates to, um, ambiguity, because at, at, at sort of like the, the, the center of all these Wiseman films is the the lack of titles and the labels, just generally, as you both know. But um, in uh, in I wanted to read this little 
bit from uh, an early interview with John Graham that doesn't have to do with this film specifically, but I think uh, it, it makes for interesting conversation where uh, John Graham asks him about like why he doesn't uh, label, you know, this is who you're about to meet, yada, yada. And uh, Wiseman says, it's like having a butterfly collection with everything labeled, whereas if you see somebody and you don't know whether he's an alcoholic or whether he's a rapist or whether he's a murderer or whether he's a psychopath, whatever those terms may mean, if in fact they have any meaning at all, you have to decide how you feel about that guy. And I, I found that really interesting uh, as it relates to something like juvenile court as opposed to something like a, saint, a scene. Um, just because, <laughs> because the whole film is specifically about judging people right like both us judging them and uh totally. watching other people judge them and wiseman gives us this chance to meet people as people who you know happen to be in this court but just them before you know we're told what what we're in for and i think it changes our perception of who we're dealing with and like i, I think especially I, I i found it interesting to think about robert the uh the, the kid who had the bad trip, who may or may not have dealt drugs, but like it changes based on the first time you, you see a character. And in juvenile court, um, we see recurring characters more than ever before, I guess. Yeah. A scene like, you know, obviously you're dealing with such a small population, but, um, but the first time we see this kid, Robert, we see him on like the road to recovery, right? Like, we, we see like him being like talked about for his potential for good and not just his faults and not like, why are you here? Um, you know, where, you know, the babysitter, Tommy, you know, first thing we, we see is like him just saying like, uh, it's all a bunch of bunk. And, and this is why they want me here. Uh, and I think like with, with Robert, like it, it definitely brought me to like a place with him where I like had hope that, you know, he could, or he he was like he could leave this system and actually stop doing drugs if that's what's bad for him i guess you know like that he could be comfortable and not like fall back into this system yeah i think it's really interesting what weissman does in this film now that he's sort of like layering together these longer sequences and especially right in this case there's like the three or four cases that we see a lot of but the he weaves them in in such an intricate way right like you're talking about sean we see him and we we almost we you know we believe that he's like you know <laughs> gonna find god or something like that and then in the next scene we see him right he's with his mother and his mother just basically is like but bob they did that before and you didn't do anything about it you know, you just realize all of the sudden your heart breaks. You're like, oh, yeah, well, it wasn't like serious at all. Right. It was yeah. this whole act, this charade right. that's going on. And that's doubled up later with the, you know, the, the guy who says it in the court again. And it's just like, but but this time he'll do better. <laughs> it's like, just believe in him. Well, I mean, to, to your point, Sean, I mean, like um, something Grant, Barry Keith Grant noted uh, in the bookends of the film, right? The only time you get any exterior shots and it's of this building and everything else is within those 
confines like this is a trap like you don't get out of here and notably like no one we meet throughout the film just like goes home with their parents or like like that that we see anyway um so like you're you are thoroughly like processed and dispensed with like like there's no escape (laughs) from juvenile court yeah, I think, like, you talked about Hospital being, like, this way station, and I feel like, yeah, Juvenile Court has a similar feel to it, where you do get the impression and feeling of, yeah, these people being brought in and sent out to other institutions, right? Yeah. This is just somewhere in the netherworlds where people are, like, going through this space. Um, and, yeah, it's, again, like, the the climactic sort of case that we have in this film which we'll obviously talk about in more detail but the 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 kid who is you know uh, is being sent to you know this like uh what is it uh like a work school uh, or something. Right, training. training school yeah he's being sent to training school and he just freaks out yeah. at the judge and he's yeah. just saying over and over again like this is a trap i've been trapped and he just feels so powerless and helpless. And, and again, like this cumulative two hours and 20 minutes we've spent all in, in like windowless interiors uh, just, yeah, really like builds up to that even fever pitch in, in this film. Right? Yeah. I mean, the, the film is, uh, yeah. And then it ends with like that no exit sign or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but like, use next use, door. Yeah, exactly. yeah. But like, uh, I think. Um, that informs uh the aesthetics as well like because not like you know we talked a lot about like how how cloistered a lot of his films are but like this is the most claustrophobic i think up to this point we see all these like great shots of like families crowded in chairs in the corner of a room just like shoved over there and i and it's it's interesting too how that also changes uh the relationship with the the subjects because i i think the claustrophobia like you're kind of more aware of Wiseman and, and brain's existence in these tiny rooms and you start to see like some of the subjects like looking at the cameras more often and um it's 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 cloistered and it's also like formless and malleable like there's no real sense of space in this film and i mean to some degree that's true in in many of Wiseman's films um and it's interesting how like kind of the only recurring spaces are um the judges spaces like the judges office and the court you know and it kind of inherently leads the viewer i think to uh, identify with the judge to some degree because this is mm. these are like the situating locales right like that you when you're here visually you know where you are you know what's happening and it if it's if it doesn't make you identify at least connotes the authority of the film at least it's like if if this was like a if there was a sitcom about a judge you know you're like you're gonna spend this much time in the courtroom (laughs) you're gonna spend a lot of time in his back office yeah for sure yeah what's interesting about that then is i i find the scenes in the judge's chambers to be i mean not just the longest of course but some of the most chaotic like there's a lot of panning and even mm-hmm. like really mm-hmm. abrupt, like especially, yeah. you know, and you can tell a lot of it is in like the long sequences when Wiseman is making that decision, like we're not going to cut. And you see, yeah, like brain just like swing the camera around <laughs> yeah, like right. 180 without cutting where normally he would 
cut elegantly in the scene almost classically but in this he just lets some of those unwieldy camera mm-hmm. movements really like take over there's so there's so many people in his chambers in some of those sequences you got yeah. like lawyers for both sides like uh, in one case the mother of uh the victim the victim herself the victim's brother like like it's and and i guess part of that is just the physical you know limitations of the space it doesn't seem like a huge office um but like like yeah those those moments just seem for weissman even all of his work but but these specifically like seem really privileged like in a way that almost feels like we shouldn't be witness to some of this stuff like like um you would think this would be you know testimony in front of the court and not just kind of like talked about in literal back rooms yeah um a couple things i I think um well first of all adding to the chaos side note like there's also so much smoking in this movie (laughs) it's it's amazing it's truly like the most smoking i've seen in like uh nonfiction maybe ever but one of my favorite cuts in the entire film is when tommy is in the judge's chamber and it's like the like the ending of like his saga basically and he sort of looks at the camera and it's it's from the side and you just see like a hand come up in the bottom of the frame and just take a drag of a cigarette right as this kid's being like what's gonna happen to me and then it just cuts like yeah i can't it's it's everywhere i, I do awesome. love those standing ashtrays yeah yeah those are really nice yeah but uh but talking about like uh permission or privilege um so he was given permission by this judge turner and apparently it was something that that was kind of rare at the time where like a lot of the 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 uh, courtrooms were like sort of, uh, they had making... rules about it. They yeah, like rules about not yeah. not allowing yeah. cameras in. That um, uh, that his chances were kind of uh, slim. And then Judge Turner told him that he could come to Memphis. Um, and so I wonder if in that he's allowed more privilege to Judge Turner, and maybe that has to do with his legacy. I have no idea, but mm-hmm. um, he's allowed. You know all this time in the chambers that like, I mean, I don't know. It, it maybe that's part of Wiseman's charm that he's able to just like, you know, ingratiate himself towards somebody or find the, you know, maybe just having these like standing invites allows people who basically want you to come into their, you know, more private moments. Um, I'm not sure, but um, I, going back to this, this idea of like, it being claustrophobic and you're more aware of their existence in these rooms. Um, he's like, Wiseman is act asked about this all the time, obviously about like whether people are acting for the camera. And, um, since we see like more people kind of looking at the camera, it's interesting within the context of something like juvenile court. Um, uh, but like Wiseman always says something along the lines of like, people just start acting normal. And, you know, if they don't and, and if it's like bullshit, then I just cut it out. But he's like, people just start to rely on their instincts and act more yeah. normal than they would otherwise, which he thinks is like a great like subject for documentary. But within this context, I think we have this like sort of doubling up of characters or the subjects who are probably trying to act normal because they're also in front of like judges. Um, right. Yeah. But also like... Uh, 
Arlen, you pointed out, pointed to me uh, this like Studs Terkel interview, and, and he was yeah, asked about so this good. as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's great interview. Um, and basically said it, it's easy for subjects to forget about it when they have like much bigger fish to fry. And like you see yeah. some of these, especially earlier in the film, like some of the you know these conversations where children are being taken out of their homes and their parents are there and listening to all this stuff. It's like. I'm sure they are not thinking about the camera. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, he notes in that interview, um, like, you know, he, he uses his bullshit meter, he calls it, but he doesn't say like, that's only a me thing or only a documentarian thing. It's just something that everyone has to employ in all their jobs. And like, you know, that's something the lawyer, the lawyers are doing. The judge certainly is doing, um, probably the kids to some degree, you know, measuring out the adults in the room. Um, and it's like, I don't know, like, um, he, you, you, like you said, he, you revert to, you're not going to try something new in, in this high pressure situation, let alone with a camera in it, right? You're gonna, you're gonna do what you know and what's comfortable. Um, because like, yeah, this is, this is a kind of a big deal happening right now. Yeah. Um, in this other interview that I was alluding to earlier that I think is, is great and kind of uh, special uh, in terms of looking at a lot of Wiseman interviews, he's, he's interviewed with the Civil Liberties Review, mm. and um, which they, they talk a lot about juvenile court. Um, but uh, Wiseman said that, he, that, that audiences' reaction to juvenile court will be relative to how much they know about law. Yeah. Um, he says, like, the more you know about law, the more critically you're likely to be. And the less you know, the more impressed you're likely to be with the you know, humanitarianism and the practical solutions to these, you know, difficult problems that they're faced with. And, you know, he himself said that, you know, most of these people are like people acting on goodwill and, you know, trying to deal with these complex solutions, like we said. But um, I think in, in Mamber's journal that you brought up, Eric, um, he made the observation that, that we see that, you know, the court has so many options to weigh for each of these cases. And, and they're clearly trying to figure out the best scenario for each each case. But we rarely get this, the feeling, he says, that the decision will be successful, which I think is an interesting quandary. Like we're not going these are like malevolent forces trying to enact like pain on these people's lives. It seems like they're trying to figure out the right thing to do we just don't feel like that, that like they're going to be successful for whatever reason and you know it's not to say that they've made the wrong decision it's just it's not an ideal situation but ultimately we have no idea if they're successful or not right mm -hmm. um yeah i mean it's 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 it is hard to feel that way especially again looking back i i found myself thinking of uh, another doc i think uh we all know about at least um stevie steve james film and kind of the horrible results of the uh, main subject in that film's uh trips mm -hmm. through foster homes over the years and you think well you know they're handing them off to foster parents and it's like you know these people seem nice enough i'm sure you know it's going to be a benefit of this kid but like just knowing what the history of what's gone on in foster homes over the decades it's like 
God, you know, it's it's like a coin toss, you know, what what may may or may not result. But I mean, again, this is the position Weissman always puts us in, I think, which is that of these administrators in that it it we're shown methods, we're not shown results because you don't mm-hmm. get results in real life. At least these people don't. You know, again, he's dealing with eighteen thousand cases a year. You think he knows or frankly even cares about like what happens to a good chunk of these kids? It's like it's just impossible. Yeah. Uh I mean like going back to, to Mamber, he kind of like goes goes galaxy brain on that like says like uh you know he's you're not supposed to care about the right decision whether the right right decisions are being made or not you know but it's it's about how the wheels are turning and our idea or our our questions as, as like viewers should be about like this is how decisions are made in american institutions and this is how uh children are dealt with that have these you know whatever uh things on their system but uh in the thomas atkins uh, book he points out um that tommy the babysitter that uh we can talk about more if you guys want uh agree he he agrees to take this lie detector test for his case and we don't hear the lie detector results and um it turns out that he confessed before taking the test after wiseman's time you know expired that's but that's that's neither here nor there but he we see him like agree to take this lie detector test and then we we don't see the results like the results are not an i that th- 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 that's not wiseman's like interest and i think that's interesting to juxtapose with like the contemporary like you know landscape or landfill if you want of of like these justice system based like uh non-fiction podcasts and documentaries that are just like try to extract you know these results and like exploit chill your citizens just basically for like narratives for juicy narratives right um and this is this is asking much larger questions about like uh like i said just how decisions are being made not like what happens to the specific person that you're going to forget about like 30 minutes after you finish this podcast yeah and just like quite simply the variety of solutions we see i think is interesting and you just even lose track of like Oh my God! Yeah, they're they're putting him in a home, or they're sending him to military academy, or they're kicking it to the adult corridor, and it's just like all these different you know pathways that Wiseman's exploring. And again, I think it like helps that the film is longer because then mm-hmm. we're able to see more and more of this. But again, to the to the complexity of the work, it's like the more we see, the less we know in a certain sense, or we're like less sure of anything that's that's happening in this juvenile court yeah and and i think that kind of one of the things that i have to keep reminding myself of um because like it can it can get stale to talk about wiseman's films is just like the institutional films right and you have to like you're actually like constantly reminded watching his films that they're more about the people that come into uh these institutions for for whatever reasons it's like it's about people as they relate to these institutions and um like with these complex situations that we talked about like how do the people directly like deal with them like i think about tommy's mother like tommy or no sorry the mother that of the children that that the babysitter was watching and like we get to see this mother who whose children have potentially been molested talking to this judge and 
she's doing it with much more grace than I can imagine yeah. most people doing right. it with. And that's sort of like where the life of a lot of Wiseman films come from are the people. Um, it doesn't have to do with like, um, you know, it, it has to do with like um, the way, obviously there are rules and a system put in place, but it has to do with the way that people take out those rules and how people deal with those rules, if that makes sense. Well, it's like, you know, speaking of those memorable kinds of characters, right? There's the the one scene in this film with the chaplain, and he's talking to this, this teenage girl who's despairing about her life, and the chaplain says, uh, well, that's the problem of living. <laughs> and it's like one of those Wiseman cones, you know? Where you're yeah. just like, ah, yes, this is what this is all about. Yeah. And, and, it, and it really is. Yeah, but before we get too far away from it there was a moment with um that scene with with the mom that really struck me where she uh repeats something she repeats how he kissed her all over he kissed her all over he, she says it twice and the second time she looks right into the camera she's like she's like everyone who's seeing this on you know net or whatever out there like <laughs> i want you to know what like this boy did but like to your point like yeah the coherence and i guess like lack of vitriol um she's displaying is like pretty remarkable yeah and it's fascinating just to watch that it's 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 fascinating to watch somebody like be coherent about like her child who's molested uh, and like also be like you know she's asked like how she wants to deal with that like he often the judge often asks like other people what they think is fair and and she just says like oh, i think he should be punished but she you know she doesn't yeah she she isn't saying like you know put him in the electric chair which is mentioned quite often in this movie it seems like you could go to the chair in tennessee for pretty much <laughs> anything <laughs> yeah yeah um and i guess this kind of gets into another like bigger issue that that i think this film is also about um talking about that specific scene the the babysitter um <clears throat> who like i i I think that a lot of what we see here is like generational trauma Mm -hmm. a lot of the cases have to do with um parents and children or parents that have their own issues with other uh parents or children and and it just seems like that um that seems to be a big thing here like we have this babysitter tommy who molested these kids and then it turns out that you know he has this this bad relationship with his father who beats him and like this this grade and failed grade in kindergarten yeah, he doesn't he, want to talk about yeah he's so like cryptic about you know he just leaves it at a missed attendance or something like yeah and then like when that mother that we were just talking about like leaves the room the the people in the chambers you know wonder if yeah, if she had a problem like yeah speculating about her as a child like it, it's it's out of kind of out of nowhere but it's an interesting scene and i have to to think that um wiseman added that as like just part of this thematic texturing about just general trauma between generations but um you know we have uh we have the case of incest potentially uh this father who touched his daughter um or like this burn victim 
uh, who's like that one's you know, so crazy. It's horrifying, but oh. yeah, his uncle like poured hot grease on him, and and he's just like, "What'd you do to make him do yeah, this?" Yeah, like like just a wordless kid bandaged up, and and the, the guy who works for the corp of social worker or whatever is just like, "Now, what did you do, son, to to make him pour this on you? Did you say anything to him, or did you do anything to him?" <laughs> just like Jesus Christ. Yeah, well, that scene opens like that, that little sequence opens with the, the you know the the caseworker being like you don't know when your birthday is you don't know what month do you know what month you were born in uh, okay <laughs> and he's like berating this kid for not knowing when his birthday is and yeah. this kid's covered in like grease burns yeah. um yeah whoa yeah in, in that studs turkle interview wiseman like kind of opens up pretty like blatantly about like he's like this film is about what does he say the the, the disintegration of the american family <laughs> And, and then, then and then he right. immediately it's like maybe that's a little grand, but like you know, <laughs> it's it's there and what you're talking about this generational trauma and the fact that so many of what we so much of what we hear about is about like the uncle poured grease or the father laid hands. You know, it's it's a lot of uh, familial kind of affairs. Yeah, there's that one really tough sequence with the girl Anita and her parents and the social worker. Right. And it's like you start with the parents and they're like talking about the daughter and then they bring the daughter in and the daughter's like, well, my stepdad, like, yeah, you know, he used to like kind of try to sexually, you know, abuse me. And then they kind of just like quiet that down. And then it's revealed like a minute later. It's like, I've wondered if, if this, whatever it is, about this might have something to do with the fact that all her life she has known that her father uh you know what happened there with mm -hmm. him being charged with incest and you're just like what <laughs> um it's just like horrifying right like you just the longer these scenes go on sometimes just the worse and worse things start bubbling to the surface yeah i, I want to just quickly talk about a couple shots in that scene because um that one doesn't get talked about as much in the reading, but um, some kind of it's it's interesting to see kind of brain. Uh, you could see the gears turning in real time as he's moving the camera around a little bit. There's a part where the social worker is kind of tongue in cheekly saying like if she should have cut deeper because this girl cut herself and she's like, oh, I know she wasn't going to hurt herself like she should have cut a little deeper and then brain does the zoom right on her face kind of like exploring her expression to see like what did she mean by that like how 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 was she communicating this to, to the girl's parents nonetheless right and like then that moment you're talking about eric where the daughter's describing uh what you know she's alleging against the stepfather and he brain goes tight on the mother while this we don't see the daughter saying this we're trying to see you know what is this uh what does her mother think about all this as as it's being spoken and like he's just so attuned i think to um emotion and facial expression and and how that adds this layer of depth and complexity uh that wouldn't necessarily be there if we were just watching the person talking talk you know for sure 
I mean, um, some, well, something. I mean, even in that yeah. scene too. Sorry, Arlen, just to, like go off you a little bit. Like thinking about the way this the form interacts or the mm-hmm. camera interacts with the content, right? Because even in that scene the stepfather who's in the room and it's like oh well the oh this happened two years ago and he says uh, well i have put my hands on him but not in that kind of way and yeah. right at that moment brain like whips yeah. and focuses as well like there yeah. are all these yeah these shifts you know it's interesting um to think about how that has changed in his style obviously like <clears throat> he doesn't work with brain anymore and hasn't for a long time but um that within this context, it, it's trying to play off of these very, uh, these these very emotional, uh, you know, subjects in the room, and and like talking openly about very emotional things, and a camera trying to react to those things. And I was like, he definitely doesn't do that anymore, right? Like his films aren't like zooming into people or whatever. But also, it kind of correlates to like his films aren't. Unless I'm, well, that's not entirely true. Something like domestic violence is incredibly, like, heartbreaking. But, uh, but now it's just, like, which I prefer. Uh, because I think, I think if in, um, in ju- uh, juvenile court, it becomes a little bit too much for me, like, this, like, sort of reverting back to high school, uh, the film uh and trying to like emulate that style or it just kind of like reminds me of that style which is a little too much for me like it, it, it's a bit chaotic and i just like i do want to just sit there and watch the people i don't know it, it, is that something that or do you do you guys sort of appreciate brains uh attempts to navigate these things in more like um gymnastic ways well i feel like to for me i think because it's juvenile court that to me is like as high of emotions as you can get right whether it's being a juvenile and having extreme emotions because you're young or just because these are all horrifying situations i like the way it is yeah on like chaotic and, and and messy but i I love the later composed stuff, don't get me wrong. But I don't know, like, to me, this is, you know, this is like Wiseman's, like, punk period, right? It's like, (laughs) it's sloppy, it's ugly, you know, like this, welfare, basic training. Like, they're all uh, this, this, yeah, this, like, raw period, you know? And and I think, I I agree, I think, with Eric. um, But something to remember, too, is, like, they're, like, building the vernacular of, like, documentary film you know in real time basically like they're like there isn't so much precedent here and as somebody who's done some nonfiction like uh shooting and, and videography like i do relate to that desire at least of the filmmaker to try and you know like react in real time to kind of the scene and what's happening and and making sure you're being you know, I guess somewhat like comprehensive in what you're capturing and make sure you're not missing anything. So, uh, but I mean, and, and with Weissman, it's just so interesting because like it's one cameraman always. So you just like, you know, what you get is what you get. I mean, it's a more <laughs> right, dangerous right. way yeah. to shoot. I wonder yeah. if he got fed up with editing some of it, to be honest, because yeah. at a certain point you got to be like, all right, how do we streamline this? Like, 
because the nature of being that sort of attuned to these like micro things with zooms or reframings like that, you, you know, I'm sure they focus on the wrong person a lot of the time right. as well. And I'm sure that gets, you know, cut out, but uh, it's a dangerous way to shoot when, you know, film is money and, and all that. Right, right, right. And, and you, you're not going to be able to see these, these conversations again. Nope. Yeah. Yeah, they're one-time only things. But I think that also, to me, is like one of the, you know, one of the reasons I, like many people, I'm sure, love Weissman so much is the way, like every movie he makes, I watch, it's like watching F for Fake all over again. Where you're just <laughs> like, how does this guy, you know, edit this stuff to to make meaning, to make entertainment, to make all this stuff, um, with starting with just these, yeah, these really raw materials it's it's interesting though it, to your guys's credit uh arlen you were kind of talking about uh building this vernacular um in the new york i think it was the new york times piece uh when this came out um which you know like a lot of the pieces about wiseman films this early are about introducing you know in in like large public publications are introducing readers to his style even if it's you know his seventh film it's still saying like yo this is what you're getting into yeah um and uh they the the writer mentioned that uh they appreciated that uh for a documentary film it didn't draw attention to itself like the way that the camera moves like specifically doesn't draw as much attention to itself as other like as his contemporaries at the time so uh that that's probably worth something considering too as well as like you know um building this vernacular but also restraint uh at that time compared to like others that were doing the same thing yeah i mean what like aside from like medium cool i guess like you know what kind of run and gun sort of mobile framing like our our mainstream audience is going to be familiar with at this point right it's yeah. like that that's all taken from you know so I, I feel like uh brains reference a lot in these early weissman films are referenced a lot in terms of how people how narrative cinema would come to incorporate documentary aesthetics and methods um you know pointing to how how you can make something look like nonfiction without it actually being nonfiction um is is kind of all all this well that's funny too because you know the first like fiction film that comes to mind of this like shift towards even more realism in in popular cinema is the french connection right and i know you guys have seen you know, where friedkin comes from right like yeah. people versus paul crump he right, even came yeah. from tv documentary tradition so by the early 70s yeah there is both in fiction and nonfiction, like diverging explorations of of the real and what that means. Yeah, and also, you know, uh, thinking about like French New Wave film that was like trying to create something that was raw, like out of fiction. You know, similarly, mm -hmm. that Friedman sure. was obviously uh, before him, but yeah. yeah. Um, something I thought was kind of interesting that came up in the Studs Terkel interview is like he was rallying against the trend in narrative film that he felt Weissman's films were bucking of like these kind of gleeful anti-heroes or like the, this uh, 
just kind of cynicism or just like everything is fucked kind of attitude in the films he references are five easy pieces straw dogs and clockwork orange yeah, yeah he was very 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 much not into those movies um but uh, you know we've we've talked a lot on these episodes about like kind of corollary films um hollywood or otherwise and and like i feel like this is just a, a subject that isn't covered a whole lot in in fiction like did you guys have any that uh came to mind well i couldn't think of anything at the time i just think of like well they used to make like juvenile delinquency films in the 50s or whatever but uh yeah with kind of like a paternalistic like you know you you can really turn things around johnny like you know right yeah yeah um, you could show this in a double bill with Rebel Without a Cause, right? For sure. I mean, that, and then the the other question, too, and I guess you were kind of alluding to this a little, Eric, with, like, you know, the, the emotions with kids are so heightened, but, like, you know, I asked this question about a scene versus church. It's like, why juvenile court? You know, why not a trial? Why not? foster care you know like what what is it about this institution that that you guys think um drew weissman's interest i i i have to think like um going back to what eric was saying about the time this time in america i i have to think that there is some interest in the specific moment for these kids and where they might go next and uh like just as much as we've talked about vietnam as sort of the background of all of these films so far i wonder if that plays into um you know and obviously he's he's looked at youths a lot with basic training and and in high school um i don't know i i think it it makes sense to look at a pivotal moment for a lot of kids that um might end up or are being funneled into certain places uh that he is clearly interested in i also think he's you know just based on you know some of his more recent decisions in terms of what to film i think he's drawn to like um sort of iconoclast i mean obviously he's drawn to like iconoclastic types of figures like the judge in this film i think is very much to me feels at home in the wiseman universe um because he he has these yeah these characteristics and qualities that you see in other Weissman characters um i forget what else i was going to say um <laughs> well, i was going to say oh no uh, oh okay no because he had like a novel approach i'm sorry so thinking about like why he decided to do city so real right or why he decided C- to do city hall like that oh my god <laughs> jesus the, why the, he yeah shout out to why Steve he decided James. To, always <laughs> chicago why he decided to do City Hall, right, is he was like, oh, I read this, you know, I read this article about eight interesting mayors, you know, and I see it like the same thing where he probably read, you know, someone told him or read a newspaper like, hey, there's this like, you know, this judge in Tennessee and he's like kind of doing these things differently. And he's like, oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, I think he, he mentioned like a friend helped him get access and the friend kind of like with high school, um, said this was a like a B plus A minus juvenile yeah. court. Yeah. Like, you know? <laughs> oh, that's so scary. Yeah. <laughs> and like, like it's interesting too. Just t- talking about the judge and and also high school. Like he said, he showed 
Judge Turner the film and and he liked it. Um, and I, I think going back to a little bit of what we were talking about earlier, like, I think it's a film that kind of, again, situates you in the judge's seat, especially with the babysitter scene is like, um, and a little, little side note, uh, Pauline Kale referred to this scene as what seems like a minor feeling up incident. <laughs> 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 Um, could talk about that, but, um, that, that, you know, we're getting all this information, we're getting fed all this information from the kid, from the mother, from the lawyers, um, and we're kind of left to sort out the pieces and it's, it's very difficult, I think, to resist the urge to try and speculate about this boy's guilt or innocence, right? And it's really what the judge is doing all day, every day, and we're kind of, you know, shown the like mental and moral quandary that's the crux of this institution uh, by transferring the onus onto the viewer. I think it, I it's it's easy to kind of like reverse engineer the question. Like, it, I think it might be a bit of a misnomer considering the like the the question that is uh, because knowing that like like eric you said uh sometimes it's just something really simple like and stupid and banal that he ends up at places but also the idea that he he doesn't know uh really what he wants to say uh obviously there's an attraction there but it doesn't mean as much as what he finds there like i don't think he went i don't think he was like you know i feel like american families are really dissolving right now <laughs> and i think juvenile courts are going to be like the thing that really like articulates that for me um well that's it's, some yeah. something uh reality fictions brings up is is um it pairs this film in the chapter with a scene and we talked a lot about therapy on the last episode and like the connection here being there's so much like psychology and like really sometimes it almost seems like pop psychology happening um you know like like and yeah. so much weight seems to be anal periods <laughs> anal periods you know whether drawings are shaded or not yeah. like like obviously the ubiquitous ink blots and and trying to discern meaning from those and i mean you know it's true these are kids these are like literal developing minds um but like um something benson and anderson bring up in the beginning of this chapter is you know weissman's pre-filmic life and how he wrote this piece about like the the um, dubious nature of like using expert psychological testimony and like determining guilt or innocence in these cases um yet here we are right <laughs> and and yeah. it, it seems to be like a major major factor in every single one of these cases is like trying to like like with with tommy it's like the tests do reveal we have a real disturbed boy here so i, I would say a boy this boy is capable of doing this sort of thing and um he has a a, a, a bigger problem than just this uh, pinch here, apparently. So, um, but like you know, the the merits of the case, I guess, um, seem almost secondary in, in certain instances. There's, I uh, I wanted to to before I forget, because um, we talked a, a lot about like <clears throat> um, some of the social workers and uh, Eric, you mentioned earlier, sort of like the the racial dynamics of like Judge Turner and. Uh, Memphis and one of the things I picked I, I 
definitely picked up more on when I was like scrubbing through this a second time. Uh, but I kind of wanted to get your guys' feelings about the 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 way that the white uh, so, social worker is relating to these children and like especially in juxtaposition to like the the black social worker the like do not be a whore speech yeah. oh, yeah. uh that that we haven't mentioned at all um and it's, it's pretty a great, incredible great scene. Yeah. um but like there so there's this like really uh interesting moment um where uh well first we see like this this white woman that works there like kind of like talking to to children kind of I would say a bit like beyond their cognizance or like telling them to like stop crying and and not really like it doesn't feel like she's a very comforting presence and the part you know and then we see this very specific moment where that that is kind of like an interlude or sort of non sequitur between her and a uh, another worker and they're looking at this drawing that the child did and they're like kind of pointing out uh what the the kid drew and they're like a, the only indication we have that this is the black girl is the uh, afro, afro hair mm-hmm. and like not long after we get this like this this do not be a horse scene this like black social worker talking to a black child and just talking at length about like look up here let me tell you something now one of the first steps in growing up is when you realize that you aren't going to let someone take your hand and take the peanuts out of the fire because your hands burn, see? Come hella high water, little lady, see? You say to yourself that you're going to be somebody and a whore or a slut isn't anybody because like I told you before, anybody can screw, see? Doesn't take any intelligence, it doesn't take anything. Anybody can be a slut. When a dog is in heat, you can't get up on the yard for the other dogs. When she had them puppies, she had them by herself. Now you can sit here and wallow and self-pity and say, my mother has always called me a whore. My sister say I'm no good, so I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna be a whore. And don't you fool yourself because if this is all it takes to make you a whore, then you will on the road to being one in the first place. You understand that? But now if you say to yourself, I know I'm somebody. Because you are not the first human being who has had somebody to start off or do things to them that hurt them. You understand that? But if you say to yourself, I'm somebody. I'm not going to be a whore. I'm not going to be a slut. I'm not going to let anyone take advantage of me. I'm going to be a teacher, a doctor, whatever it is you want to be. And let me tell you, lady, I don't care what anybody says to you. They can call you whores all day long. But they can't make you do what you don't want to do. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? Now, I want you to remember that all the while you're in here when you go home. Do you understand? If at any time in your life you attempted to do anything like that because you get angry, you remember you are not a whore. And sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. And you hold your head up high and you say you're going to be somebody. Do you understand that? I, I, I mean, I think what she, I think the speech ultimately is um, she's trying to do what's right for the child. Um, and it's, you know, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't stand up to, to today's rhetoric uh, for sure. Or like sexual politics. But, um, 
but ultimately, you know, she's just like talking to her uh, very like pointedly about like if you want to stay out of trouble, you basically have to like repress your sexuality and like just stay out of that business and and shoot straight. And then it shows them like walking down the hall together, and she's like touching her hair, and she's like, "Oh, look at these cute this cute <laughs> little hair thing here," and uh, and they're like walking like arm in arm, and it just feels like such a pointed like. Wiseman is just like attuned to these little nuances, you know, as he's pouring over the the edit for eight to ten months or whatever, and and how how they you know affect these these young people that are coming through this without being like didactic, you know, the slightest bit or or even annoying about it. But like this is kind of like one of those great moments where his observational style fuses so well with with him manipulating all of these things to to his will. Like we don't know if these happened in this order or whatnot. Um, but it's just one of those small things that I didn't really think about the first time I watched it. But, uh, you know, there's no there's no reason for them to be looking at this drawing, like, just out of nowhere and, like, pointing out this afro and then seeing this, this like, real-time, like, relationship between this, this woman right. and this child. Yeah, and in particular, that's, like, the first recurring character we meet is, is Diane, um... The, this this girl who's sort of like run away and i was like really impressed watching it again just seeing how he works he like peppers her story in you know as the the film goes along and then she ends up being like 10 minutes in the first sort of like case that we actually see um but just seeing the snippets that sort of build up to it um is just so impressive and every time i rewatch, you know any of these films it's like you guys know it's like watching a new film because uh, it really is that rich like his taste in material is just it's it's always something interesting you know and Diane is so photogenic too. Like just her facial expressions are just like, I, I I mean, it wouldn't really do much to articulate it. Just like watching this like face that is kind of emotionless set against this like black, this blank screen is, is quite something. Yeah. The, I mean, the Diane scene, something I caught that was notable, I thought was the foster home is still run by the department of corrections. <laughs> so it's, it is yep. this like, institutionalized uh punitive thing right like like and and they note that this diane's mother all of her kids have like cases brought against them and that's why they're removing custody um but in both of these scenes both both diane's scene and the the kind of slut whore uh speech the kids don't ever speak and and you know these are these are lectures right and it's like I'm not sure, I guess this is a social worker, but in in the latter one, um, you know, you get the sense that like this, the, the, whoever this administrator is feels like this is her opportunity to like intervene and make a difference and impress something upon this kid. Right. And like, it's really intense, but I think, you know, like Weissman says a lot, um, you know, these are people, well-intentioned people like trying to do their best. Um, and I think uh, back to Brain's camera work and his instincts, you know, he spends a lot of time focused on the kid's face during this lecture and she seems to really be like intently listening and internalizing some of what's being said here. Um, Mm -hmm. but I mean, talking 
a little bit about what you were getting to about like the racial dynamics here is like you know it's a black social worker and a black kid right as where as opposed to the kind of like ubiquitous curly cued blonde social worker we see who who you mentioned was kind of like joking about this drawing and, and the afro and it's like what's is is this the luck of the draw for the kids right like like if they're gonna get this kind of like lightly mocking uh patronizing social worker or somebody who who maybe sees a little bit of themselves in in them and and wants to actually try to help um again you know like the the word that keeps coming up is insoluble yeah, when we when we first see Diane come around the corner with the social worker, there's a, a sheriff just smoking behind them, and the social worker, the the blonde woman, is just like, "Don't cry yet. You haven't even been to court." Yeah, right. right. <laughs> and you're like, "Oh man, okay, yeah, that doesn't seem normal yeah. or, or, or whatever." Yeah, along along with like this insoluble aspect, like I. I think that uh, Wiseman said elsewhere that he was also sort of interested in the limits of intervention, mm-hmm. and I think that you get you you see a lot of you can you can parse a lot of that with seeing like how little like you said like the kids are actually speaking and like I like you know we don't know whether these things are successful or not yeah. but like like Member said like we just we don't walk away thinking all right I think that worked. Yeah, I mean, so something someone says at some point, and and about Diane, but I think in reference to all of these cases, and maybe this goes back to why he chose juvenile court, is is they say Diane's young enough. We hope we can help, you know. So there is this this sense here that like, oh, there's this critical moment uh, happening in these kids' lives, and there's an opportunity to like divert them towards like the right path and they're on the wrong path right and like maybe in just like adult court you know the sense is more punitive or about like um just uh, incarceration get these people off the street um but not not so much this like let's try and help sort of thing yeah there's a lot of like bootstraps ideology sort of you know peppered throughout this film whether it's the social workers or even the people themselves i think one of the scenes that really struck me this time around is the woman that brings her son in for stealing 80 dollars from a golf course (laughs) and he's not been charged with any crime the mother's just bringing him in to be like yeah my son stole 80 dollars. he gave it back and he's really sorry about it and they're like what do you want us to do she's like (laughs) just just like what should we do and she's like earnestly seeking their help being like well he's gonna go into the military but i want to make sure you know he's all good he's not stealing money from the golf course (laughs) um and she comes seeking help and they're like what Okay, uh, yeah, I guess you can talk to someone. Well, it's it's this thing that's also come up before in high school and basic training, right? Of like parents relying on the state to raise their kids, and they're like, "My kid's bad. What do I do? I don't know. You're the cops. You figure it out, right?" Yeah, and I think that they they end up talking the same way that like a cop would, um, which is like, "Well, you know what? You you did the right thing. You're doing the right thing for your child." It's like, why? What are you gonna do? Yeah. But uh, I think, was that the scene I was going to bring up um, to kind of talk about, like, if you guys see echoes of other Wiseman films in this one, um, was that the scene where where uh, we see, like, the Judge Turner's, like, 
is <laughs> is like portrait. painting or portrait like right behind her and it and that yeah. scene like echoes the hospital uh, com- yeah. composition hospital with For the sure. time magazine um it's just a, a, a stunning shot where you just have this like uh this uh ambivalent look on judge turner's face but he's standing like kind of towering over her like metaphorically but um but yeah do you guys see like other uh wiseman you know we have like we have sort of the titicut follies like track and like basic training you know like bodies in the yard kind of thing but there are other other things that that you got that popped up for you guys well, there was a little of that in this one, right? We got the jumping jacks and the running in right, circles, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's like, right. it's like, again, we, so also demonstrating that this is not just juvenile court, but it is like juvenile detention for like process holding before you go to court or whatever. And it's kids of all ages and sizes too. There's like really small kids doing jumping jacks with these like you know sixteen, seventeen year olds. I could have used more. <laughs> I could have used more of of that. It was, like, there was like a an interesting scene too, uh, where they just had everyone silently watching TV in a room together. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. I I agree um, that some just seeing those machinations maybe would have would have added a little little more depth to this. Um, I mean, it's kind of like we, we talked about with with uh, a scene of like more of that, like, it's not really, well, I guess it would be downtime here, but like that, you kind of like, what are they doing in between the, the uh, sessions? Yeah, but I mean, I guess like, like Judge Turner, like there are just so many cases to get through. And like, like for Weissman, it's, I think he's, he said in a a few different numbers in different interviews but somewhere between 25 to 30 to 1 shooting ratio of what actually ends up in the film and again this is his longest film to date at this point so it's like yeah Yeah. um so it's it you gotta imagine he's he's picking and choosing his concerns and interests and what he feels most valuable like he always does but i think that that brings up another question i had which is like so this movie ends with like the longest continuous scene that Weissman's done uh, so far. It's like 35 minutes. It takes up the whole second disc of the DVD, of the Zipporah DVD. Um, but it's, it's you know, this epic sort of sequence about this kid who wants to go to court and this lawyer who just met the kid who's trying to plea out. And like, um, uh, you know... The, KFC robbery. Yeah, KFC robbery. There's a great rye weissman edit here where uh they talk about how they were apprehended by memphis police and then they cut to these two like dopey looking cops sitting on the side like they uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh um but yeah i mean again it's it's this like epic for weissman scene and and it tacks a whole 35 minutes of this film and it's like why do you think he capped it with this especially too when the other to kind of involve long sequences we get with um robert and tommy uh with lsd and the babysitting like like those are interspersed throughout the film with kind of different cases in between why do why do you guys think that weissman both ends this film with this sequence and leaves it this uninterrupted kind of thing because it's the first time he's done it i don't know yeah and i think well i mean i have a couple guesses and they're just guesses but to me 
there's a couple things going on in in this long sequence, right? Because it starts in the court, and we're introduced to Robert Singleton. He was the driver in, like, two robberies, assault with a deadly weapon. And he's being charged with robbery and assault, even though he was simply the driver, right? So it's a an ambiguous case to begin with. Uh, and they introduce it, and you're sort of getting all the details. Uh, they robbed KFC, uh amazing and <laughs> one of the one of the interesting again layers of this is then it's revealed that the the other kid who is technically an adult anthony martin he is an awol soldier mm. from vietnam so he was drafted and, and and like or in the army and ran away and is like on the lam um so again that adds another level of wiseman's concern with Vietnam and how that intersects with everything but really I think it's just a demonstration of how power was wielded in this country and and still is in the sense that it's the judge goes all right let's go to the back room right Mm -hmm. Uh, let's go to the back room let's meet we'll we'll all talk about it and we'll all decide this kid's fate and they all decide this kid's fate and they go out and present it to the kid and he just can't handle the fact that his fate has been decided by all these men in a room behind closed doors right and i think that's a very powerful demonstration of you know american power and an american institution ultimately yeah there's a in in member's journal he says uh he says if a scene keeps going on it's not moving towards clarity or resolution it's moving towards complexity and I have to think that he especially probably wrote that right after watching the film. And I, I, I have to think that that scene was on his mind. Um, because like like you, you said, Eric, like it just keeps like there there become layers and layers. And we also hear like more about like when did he actually have the gun or when was he threatened or whatever. Um, and we keep seeing more about like the cops who aren't, aren't prepared for this case either and don't have uh whatever but um uh we yeah we keep seeing it more like develop more and then in the chamber and then uh just like continually see agency stripped away from this kid and um then ending on this like thing that we already mentioned about like um uh this is a trap this is a trap like and the look on his face and how like how little we get to see him uh, is even more evocative when we do. But this is a trap. This is a trap. And then the guy coming over to him and be like, we won. They want to hit you with 20 years. Now, they did this to a boy two months ago. And all, he was a driver. And they gave him a liquor share, Bob. He sits on death row. And he was a driver. Now, this was a white boy. He was a driver. And they gave him a electric chair. We did a miracle. I know this is a hell of a Bob, Bob, this can be erased. This can be erased. This record can be erased. Ten years from now, this will be a, just a bad dream. But the other way, Bob, it will follow you. To, it would have followed you to the grave. So help We did a miracle. I want you to look at it that way. I know it's, it's hard to look at it that way, but we did a miracle. Because that man was after your skin. Why was the lie? Because you were a driver. I mean, it didn't matter if you were a lookout or just participated. Okay? Now, let's, let's, let's point this like a man. Because you're approaching manhood. I know it's a bitter pill to swallow. But it can be erased. This is America. Believe me. But it did justice. As of this morning, I thought you were gone for 20 years. And... 
yeah as as just like this 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 like dissonance that we that we see in the chamber develop too of like um and and obviously it comes from different perspectives you know you have a child who's you know 16 or 15 or whatever and you have these adults and you know six months for these adults doesn't mean very much for this kid it means a whole hell of a lot um and you know he also has like this uh probably uh you know naivete about like if i'm not guilty i you know i won't be charged right <laughs> like and there's sort of this prag- pragmatism on the on the other side of like you know what it doesn't matter like nothing will happen like he'll just you know serve his six months to get out and um but ultimately like what we see is like what that means to that child in that moment and the fact that he has no say in it um and yeah it's heartbreaking <laughs> Yeah, it's really brutal. But yeah, that like the guy who's talking to him at the end, whether it's his dad or another one of like the lawyers, he says like, as of this morning, I thought you were gone for 20 years. Yeah. And the kid has no conception of this and is just like so convinced that he that he wants to go go to trial. Right. And Mm -hmm, it's, mm -hmm. you know, another thing I was thinking about again on a rewatch in this particular scene. And again, you know, maybe it's too obvious to just go like, all right, well, what if this kid was black? Uh, I don't know if we would see the same kind of intervention from the lawyers and the probation officer and the social worker, because in that backroom deal ultimately is like everyone going like, well, yeah, he's a pretty good kid, you know? he's had some problems with drugs and they, and they sort of rationalize all this stuff. And I was just imagining like, for whom do they do this, this rationalizing for sure. right? as opposed to, yeah, this kid was the driver in multiple armed robberies. Right. Like, that's put people away for the rest of their 20 years or the electric chair, according to the judge. So yeah, it just seemed interesting also to end on that note where, you know, all these people are going like, they're all very sure, like, this is the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, on, a, on a different note, I like thinking back about that, that backroom deal is also like this talk about him being inconsolable. Yeah. And like, this, this, there's like this lack of trying to understand this child. It, which I think like reverberates through these other scenes that we've talked about, like when you, you don't, you don't get discourse that's happening. You know, you just, you, it's adults that are in our or adults that are reacting to children and then talking to them, intervening, what have yeah. you. Um, and that's, that's where the decisions. Yeah. Made. I mean, the whole thing for me is kind of encapsulated in a like earlier part of the film. It's just a really quick clip of them taking this really young kid Who's just sobbing and he's just like I don't want to go. Huh? Well, I don't you want to go. Mama. Want to sit down. I don't want to go. And that's like every case in this movie pretty much, right? Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. like, you know, the, these are kids and it's it's just um like Eric was talking about at the beginning, you know, I I I had an abandoned house situation, uh, didn't work out as bad for me as it did for Eric, but like, you know, you're, every kid could probably get picked up and arrested for something at some point. And it's just, uh, the, the manner in which you're going to be, uh, processed and dispensed is just like, who, who knows, but like, like any, anybody seems to be able to get wrapped up in the system. 
and uh, uh, especially victims right and like like the the kid with the burning oil you know a, an alleged you know 11 year old prostitute they're not treating her like she's being trafficked or like that she's a victim they're 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 treating right. her like she's out there on the street you know like like this is what she wants to be doing and stuff um like an adult and it's just like like there's no nuance there for them if you're um a child doing something you're not supposed to do like we will decide what's going to happen to you mm-hmm. for sure uh that reminded me uh of the time that i was i was taken into the police station uh when i was wrapped up in stealing a gumball machine uh, <laughs> as a uh, 16 year old skateboarder and just like being taken down like we got caught on the street and being taken into the police station and just like bawling you know just being like afraid for my life and then you know leaving leaving uh, an hour later unscathed of course a whole gumball machine wow it was a vindictive act uh that of of a friend's that i was rather um uh oh did we cover juvenile court for you eric Yes, although I do want to bring up one other one other thing, which is just to connect these films. Obviously, the Robert Wayne Young uh, bad trip in in this yeah. Uh, yeah, movie yeah. is connected certainly uh, to the hospital bad trip. Here we see what happens after the trip after you sell acid to undercover police officers, uh, and that's a really funny part of the movie too. Is the the cops like refusal to surface their yeah. undercover <laughs> right. agents yeah so funny and these guys are just you know we all know what cops were doing in the late 60s early yeah. 70s you know like yeah. arresting college students for pot by like yeah doing undercover stings and stuff like that um but also within the robert young saga is to my mind one of the great early Wiseman moments the pure pure uncut Wiseman right and it's the guy from Teen Challenge the uh, the the Christian group Robert Munson I used to do a bunch of drugs but hey it's Jesus yeah Yeah. Yeah. when he you see so like during you know during Robert's uh, you know hearing the one guy from Teen Challenge gets up and he starts the whole thing I've done every drug there is and now i have christ as if that endears him to the court (laughs) yeah Yeah, judge turner yeah yeah, judge turner's like you you commit armed robberies too he's like oh yes sir (laughs) and you can see right behind this guy is the other teen challenge guy robert and he starts like rocking back and forth in his seat before he even gets up and then all of a sudden he just erupts like sir i've been arrested 22 times and he starts going down his rap sheet right and he says in his brooklyn accent you know you'll put the clip in i was a beast in the streets of new york (laughs) he's just like as soon as he starts, he's like, you know, pull my yellow sheet, yeah, whatever you right. call it. FBI and file. all of a sudden, you're just like, all of a sudden, you're like, don't screw this up for this kid, dude. <laughs> like, this is not your thing. <laughs> Settle down. And, well, oh. too, there's the, th- there's the thing in this scene, this, the saga of Robert is like, his lawyer is just completely inept. And, like, the judge is trying to be like, you know, well, you know, like, maybe if he admitted... 
his guilt, we could work something out or figure it out. And, and this guy's here like, where are the cops to present the evidence? <laughs> and the judge has to keep being like, that's not what this is about. <laughs> you get that, right? And it's like, Jesus, between like the lawyer and Teen Challenge is like, there's just no hope for this young tripper. Yeah, people's, people have his back. It's just the wrong people. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> well, Eric, do you have like some uh, some favorite Wiseman films um, that uh, we haven't talked about yet that you sort of like would like to, to shed some light on? Oh, gee. Um, I think, uh, like I said, I like the long ones. And I, I also, you know, I, there's still plenty I haven't seen, like any normal human being. You know, I haven't seen every. <laughs> Weisman film yet, but uh, I do think, you know, a couple ones that stick in my mind, uh, Missile, I think is really great and kind of underrated. It's one of, I think, his funniest movies, which, of course, it would be about the people who are in charge of our nukes. That's the, like the funniest Weisman movie. <laughs> Cause it's like a workplace comedy. Um, <laughs> but I really do. I like, uh, the, the sort of out there ones like canal zone and Sinai field mission. I think those are both just really fascinating and canal zone, especially as yeah, sort of like, you know, this big, this big zone that he's covering. It's, yeah. uh, there's nothing like it, you know? Yeah, I'm not sure if I can saying. shed any light on any no. others. No, but, that's uh, great. Just, I you should wait. look forward to those because they're yeah. yeah, they're fantastic. There's, I'm glad you mentioned missile. This is the second episode in a row that missile has been mentioned, and there's a there's there's like a, a shot in missile with like the big gun that I just like can never <laughs> stop thinking about. It's just like this life size gun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't there one like that in basic training too? Or is did, that or yo, did I com- uh, completely conflate the two? I think that there's I, I, what I can recall is them using it as like. Uh, oh like right! Flowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, uh, yeah, cracking know. jokes. Yeah. yeah. So, sounds like Eric's into the more. Uh, I guess I, th- those three films, um, maybe with Maneuver also right, kind of. Comp- Pro, comprise this like american imperialism uh saga of weisman's film filmography uh, yes i will say too you know um like i'll never watch near death again but i think it's like yeah. un, just an unmissable film as like a human being but like i'll never look at that film again yeah. um it's just too a, much to take yeah, i'm afraid just, of that one i mean i wouldn't be afraid but it's it's just the heaviest shit ever and it's so yeah. long and it's so repetitive right. that it's just like an assault um right but i think also like central park you know because that's got coppola in it in the background you know <laughs> um and there's really like central park to me has uh, you know, maybe the my favorite wiseman scene have you guys seen central park yet i haven't yeah. Oh my God! Okay, well here we go. Here's something to look. Here's something to look forward to. There's a scene in Central Park that we just call the the tennis house scene, uh, and this is a scene where the sort of like wealthy, you know, uh, residents who live around Central Park are all at this public meeting to discuss the tennis house and upgrading it and getting a new tennis house. And it just it just erupts into what you are imagining, like all these Manhattanites just yelling (laughs) at each other over the tennis house. Um, So look forward to that. Yeah, yeah, some good stuff. 
<clears throat> I can't wait. Well, um, thanks again, Eric, for for coming to talk to us. This is this is a blast. Hey, thanks yeah, for having me. Fun. This was so much fun. Cool. Um, Good luck with uh, everything. I'll be listening <laughs> along the way. Thanks. Oh, and I also want to say, yeah, uh, you know, really enjoy the, your podcast, The Gauntlet. Um, oh, shucks. I, 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 I find uh, myself very rarely having seen any of the films you guys are talking about, but still right. being able to enjoy and engage uh, with your conversation. Just really entertaining. Good yeah, check out. Check yeah. out the gauntlet yeah. um, after you've listened to every single episode of Wise <laughs> That's uh, right, just like me. <laughs> on that note, um, we'll talk to you later. Cool. Your Honor, I've been arrested for. A... My name's Robert Monson, and if you'd pull my yellow sheet or whatever they call it here, I know in New York they call it yellow sheet FBI sheet. I've been arrested for sale of narcotics, heroin. I've had burglaries, armed robberies, assault and robberies. Christ is the answer for this boy's life. I've been to now, after I've touched God and Christ come into my life, I've been through college, all of it. I didn't even have a high school education. I came out destroyed, torn, my life, robberies of cars. I was... Uh, I was a beast in the streets of New York. And I know that Christ can change a person's life. That's why I'm asking the courts if they can just see that this area hasn't been exhausted yet and that if he can come into our program. I think that we can have a, change this man's life and, and make him a benefit to society instead of what... Uh, if you pull my yellow sheet, uh, you'd find that, that I have more than... Uh, 20 arrests and their robberies and assaults and burglaries and uh, this was all for drugs but Christ changed my life and I've been through this same program I'm a, no, I'm a licensed minister now and I've been with Christ four and a half years having shot a bag of dope having smoked a, a stick of reef and having drank no, no wine or no whiskey I, and this is because of what Christ can do and this is what Teen Challenge represents